Hey, hello, welcome. Welcome back at this strangest of strange times. I'm currently just uh, sat in the studio. I'm doing this late in the day. This is Sunday evening before release uh, tomorrow, which is the Monday. I think, is it the 23rd? 23rd tomorrow? Yeah, so just watching the updates on the news. what we should and shouldn't do and how we should do it and how we shouldn't do it and and that there you just heard I'll keep that in this is just getting messages from people just messages some people sending me conspiracy insight and not even I mean conspiracy is such a tossed about word now that it feels naff but um, certainly an alternative um, way of looking at things some people are sending me links to, other people are sending me links direct kind of uh, mainstream sort of narrative and this is good and this is not and these are the numbers and these aren't the numbers and it's pretty crazy. So I guess most of you listening to this now are sat in your houses wondering what the fuck's going on basically because I know we are. Um we wanted to get the kids out. We've been in the house for kind of three days, wanted to get the kids out. And we live in a village in the back of nowhere, really. Or certainly on the back of us, it's the back of nowhere. And we thought, all right, well, we'll get on the bike so we can go for a ride. It's just us. Can we do that? Can't we do that? I mean, the kids need fresh air. They need to get out. They need to, you know, see the earth. And, you know, we've got that weird feeling of like, can we? Can't we? Should we? Shouldn't we? We know, my wife and I, we know how important it is that you must get fresh air and you must be mobile, you must be outside, you must get sunlight on your skin, you must do these things. And this isolation seems like we have to do it because of the vulnerable and all the things that are happening. So a weird time. I don't want to get too bogged down because there's much, much, much conversation by people who seem to know what they're on about so i'll leave it there what i will say is we did a bonus episode four brothers the first time we ever did it it went out on friday and we released it at weekend because it's a much more fun time podcast it's built for just get together have a beer have a smoke have a kickback do whatever you do and just you know chill out and have some fun and a giggle and it's gone down really really nicely and we've had some lovely feedback and even us as brothers who like you know like most families we're older now and we drifted apart a little bit and it's not often that we get together and actually have some real downtime outside of just doing the do's you know so it was awesome to get lovely feedback and some people have messaged saying you know that we had a, a really funny chemistry and looking forward to more so that's been lovely uh, really nice and the americans as well um hats off to the americans thank you guys listening i don't know how you lot feel over there i guess we're all in the same boat you seem a, a, on a reasonably similar timeline to us with regards to where we are um if you get stuck with the slang and the accents and our britishness especially the fact that we're in the kind of middle of nowhere because we're neither northern nor southern apparently um I argue the fact that if you look at the map, we're kind of not far off of being parallel with the likes of Sheffield and Manchester. We're just across on the east coast. Those guys are up northwest. They're not a lot further above us. So I always feel like we're we're northern. We certainly feel more northern. Um, but if you do get stuck with our accents, and even the Australians, 
um, just stick with it. You'll pick it up over time and we will get better at not speaking over each other over time. So, yeah, I'm really, really just uh, taken aback by that. And I know that my brother's enjoyed it and a bit embarrassed and, you know, all the usual things, you know. I often say to people when they want to come on or they ask me to come on, I had a friend of mine who I used to play music with years ago who's been listening and sent me a message, when are you going to interview the ex-drummer of this band and that band and this band. And I said, oh, look, any time, let's do it. It'd be great. It'd be an awesome thing to do. And then he kind of backed off a little bit and thought, you know, the reality of actually chatting and we all get a bit spooked by it, but it's a really therapeutic thing. And myself and my brothers finished a little bit drunk, of course, but um, in the aftermath, a bit of anxiety about, oh God, did we say this? Did we say that? And I said, look, what we're doing it for is to be true. We're just chatting what we chat, how we chat it, and it is what it is. And people who find it and enjoy it and take it into their lives, that's, that's because it's real. It's, we're not trying to please anyone. We're certainly not running for office. So it is what it is. Uh, a little bit of professionalism will come along when we realise to let each other speak and finish stories and you know, know when to arc a conversation and when to move on from it. But it was awesome fun, and that's what I am in this for, is to have fun and to get some kind of therapy, some kind of connection, which is weird right now, isn't it, eh? You know, we're all whinging about, we're all lost in our phones and we're not connected anymore and now we really are isolated in our houses and all we have got is this kind of digital communication. Um, maybe we'll learn something after this. I think it would be really nice if we did pick up a little bit on our the calling of our DNA and realise that the lives that we do lead are built on these kind of constructs you know money and things and comfort it's all wonderful it's lovely but i think we can certainly see already that you know meaningful things freedom going out doing things seeing people that's really important and hopefully we can hang on to some of this after the fact if we're not all you know who knows anyway so four brothers, awesome. We're going to do it again. We also had a couple of messages because we did some promo um, for it where we just we just stuck the phone on with a wide lens and just caught a couple of clips and we used those to give a little insight as to what was happening on the day, a little bit of video. And then we had some messages from from various places saying, you know, would we do a video one? Have we got plans to do video stuff? So we've talked about it and... Um, I think now is the time to strike. So we are upgrading the studio. We are going to go full video for the podcast um, with switchy cameras and so on. So we're working on that right now. So um, yeah, in the future, there'll be video versions of these podcasts. And also we may even do some live stream ones with with my brothers um, and people who, who are up for it. You know, maybe we'll pick a time if we're all trapped in the house use some really cool interactive um, software so we can comment and you guys can chat and ask questions in real time. That'll be really cool. So we're working towards that. So yeah, all in all, really good response from Four Brothers and it's given us the wind in the sails and we shall push on. Um, okay, we are brought to you by Go Deep Flotation and Lincoln Cryo Lab. I'm not going to bang on this week because... I know that both, I know that the cryolab is still operational because you just you're just one person going into into the ice cold. So I know that's operational. So if you do want to check that out, then it's www.lincolncryolab.co.uk. Go deep flotation. 
those guys have had to shut their doors. So um, in the meantime, just Google them. Follow them on the socials. Check them out. Lovely people. And float in wherever you are. If you are in the back end of Texas, like some of you are. If you are in topside New York, like some of you are. If you're in California, then, you know, you guys are probably further along with this stuff than we are anyway. Um, but the people in Belgium, in France, in Holland listening, you know, Australia... Um, check it out google floating google cryotherapy because another and i keep coming back to this fucking virus i do apologize but you know a big part of this is like how unhealthy are we in the first place you know i think we've got a skewed a skewed understanding of what we think health is these days you know I, I, if you're not obese or if you're not you know um emaciated then you must be all right but we are fed by the very people who are uh, uh, proudly, you know, backing us and bailing us out and going to pay our bills and all of a sudden they really care about us in the UK, the government, you know, they're the same people who have dismantled this NHS and sold it off and um, just left it in the shadows, you know, just stripped it to its bones. And uh, I don't know about anybody in the UK, I don't know what it's like in these other countries I've just mentioned, but I mean, I can't go to it. I'm very rarely in a hospital. Um, but when I was up there recently, in the last year or so, my daughter needed some uh, chin gluing together. She'd slipped in the bath. I couldn't understand how I was in this place of health repair. And I couldn't walk around a corner without seeing a vending machine and a Coca-Cola machine. Now, you do the working out of that, you know this society this culture that we we live in and certainly in this western world and i'm not going to go too deep and heavy into this but we feed we live on just processed sugar shite food that's been sold to us with just it's just lies essentially you know i never i'm always dumbfounded i nip to the local shop to grab some supplies of an evening at a weekend and i'm standing in the queue i'm five six back in the queue and i'm the 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 way that my shop's laid out i'm always stood next to the fizzy drinks these just shelves and shelves of these colorful fizzy drinks and uh i'm looking at them and i'm looking at the coke and i'm like zero sugar no sugar I think, how the fuck is that legal? How is that legal? How can they write zero sugar on a two-litre bottle of Coke? I mean, anybody who's done any looking into anything like this, I mean, it's fucking mind-blowing. And if you haven't, I promise you, go and do it. Look into what is actually in a bottle of Coke. You know, there's 300 or plus names for essentially sweeteners, sugar, you know, and I guess that's what the loophole is. You know, it's not outright sugar, it's fructose or it's, you know, a whole, one of the whole, you know, I think what, what, the one in, in Coke is um, aspartame, I think. I mean, there's a, there's, there's, like I say, there's there's hundreds, literally hundreds of, of, of names for different versions of processed and refined sweeteners and sugars that are in these, these drinks and you know, at the time we're in now and we're bailing the, everybody out and, the, you know, the NHS can't cope and they've just had to literally pay thousands and thousands of pounds to hire back hospital beds from private hospitals that we sold to the private hospitals when we dissected and just, you know, broken down our NHS. I think it's just slightly ironic, you know, and I think 
individually, certainly people listening to this and listening to podcasts, you're already seeking out knowledge and um, entertainment and news from alter alternative routes other than the mainstream news. You know, you're already on that path. But yeah, we're we're in a pandemic at the moment and maybe the pandemic is the virus and maybe it's highlighting that we run on some pretty shitty cultural uh, values, you know. Fast food, get the money, work hard, get the thing, get the credit, pay buy now, pay later, you know, get one of these, get two of these, move on. Yeah, I think health is uh, is something we need to pay attention to. So cryotherapy and floating, they're just two things that you just, you know, if you can pull them off once a month, just that alone, you know, if you, if you get to the end of a year and you've done 12 floats and 12 cryo sessions, you, your, your physicality, your body, your health, your mindset, your cognitive ability, your just human being is just elevated beyond what you can even imagine. It's not just down to those minutes and those moments in those therapies it's what it does to your psyche when you come out the things you see you come out after you get used to doing these things for a couple of three months you, you someone's taken out your hard drive at the side of your temple there cleaned your hard drive and put in a new operating system operating system 2.0 and all of a sudden you can see bullshit from a fucking mile off and you feel a whole different frequency so i think there's something to be said for this time we're in and trying to pay attention to what we're actually doing with ourselves anyway i'm going on today's episode is mrs jane martin and ironically timing wise this is just fallen how it's fallen which is lovely um fascinating story jane has i won't go too far into it but essentially she was a high-flying financier graduated from the london school of economics um headed over to hong kong eventually um, was the global portfolio manager for the property division in HSBC and she was living that life until one day she had a vaccine a vaccine that was administered to her that had a terrible adverse effect with her um, she felt something brewing on the way up to that as you'll hear she's now a practicing shaman she's a holistic practitioner she's got a project called The Heart Shed and she is a super cool lady this is an amazing story. It's a long one, <clears throat> but you've got time. So enjoy it, guys. If you do like this, if you do feel like maybe, you know, other people have got time that you know and they might enjoy this or they could take something from it, then do like and subscribe. If you're on Apple iTunes, just, a, you know, a review is, it means the world to us because slowly but surely we're building momentum now. Um, we've got another exciting pod Bible um announcement to make which we'll make over the coming coming weeks uh coming episodes but each and every time someone likes something someone shares something someone sends a link and certainly leaves us a review within the itunes it just does wonders for us it's amazing it really does it helps people to to sort of see it and find it and we can build our little club um that little bit more so we really appreciate that okay without further ado this is Episode number seven of the Chew the Chat podcast with Jane Martin. Welcome to Chew the Chat podcast. 
picture. Yeah, sort of. I mean, I don't see him much. He's always working. He's he's obsessed with what he does. He's constantly going on research about it because he's they do new stuff about how, um, you know, just working on changing the energy meridians, pulling on Chinese medicine, and everything is sort of. He's just constantly looking for how the body is reworking itself and how it heals itself. So. He's just he just worked. At what point did you realise that like you were next door neighbours? How did that? When come I up? filled in the form. Ah, oh, the address, and he's kind at, of said, at his when I went for my first session. So it was it was quite early on, but it was out at the end of it. Like he goes, oh, I live next time. <laughs> Mad. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome, Jane Martin. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Are you? Um, okay, I'll get, I'll, a bit of background is um, off the bat is. You've had a kind of a full-on last few years. Pretty full-on, yeah. Yeah? 2016, yeah. it all changed for you. It did. It, it changed pretty dramatically. That, But then when I look at it, things were leading up to it anyway that I just didn't see. So, um, yeah, pretty full-on. Okay, so you were a high-flying financier, kind of a banker... HSBC. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give us a bit of a background as to what your career was doing up until 2016. Yeah, so I was working, living, working in Hong Kong. Been there for 20 years. Um, gone over there. Um, I'd like to say for a job, but actually the guy that I was seeing at the time went over there and the company I was working with at the time, I sort of said, oh, you know, can I move there? I said, yeah. It was just so easy. So I moved over there. We split up. But I stayed, he stayed, actually. He's now married to a friend of mine, but that's another story. Um, but, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in Asia and ultimately about 10 years ago started working for HSBC, um, looking after their, not in the, the banking side of it as such, but in the sort of the operational bit, looking after all their real estate. Um, and, you know, got promoted very quickly, was soon running the sort of whole global function um, flying around the world, had 600 people working for me. Wow. Um, um, and, yeah, on, on the, it, it was a... I loved my job. Um, Hong Kong was great. The lifestyle was amazing. I was getting paid a lot of money. Um, it was all... When you look at it, stand back from it, it was all brilliant. Um, but it all crashed down. Um, and... Uh, you know, when I when I look at the reasons behind that, you know, I've, I've realised actually now that the more you try and analyse some of the reasons, there's actually not a lot of point in it. It happened. Mm. Um, but it was, uh, I, you have to tell me what you want to know about it because it's, it, it was certainly an experience. And it, it's, it's, it's been a difficult process because, you know, when something like that happens to someone like me, that on the face of it, well, not on the face of it, actually has everything that you'd think you'd want in the world, like good job, uh, lots of international travel, uh, earning a decent amount of money, married, kids, everything looked perfect. And then this happens and you go, well, shit, you know, this doesn't happen. You almost feel like you shouldn't, it shouldn't happen to you. My crash out, which was what it was, we'll come on to that, shouldn't happen to you because... You've, you've got, got everything going for yeah. you. You've got the picture perfect advert. Yeah. You've, yeah. You've, yeah. 
Okay, well, so before we get to that 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 kind of epiphany moment or breakdown or breakthrough, breakthrough. I prefer to probably yeah. call it, which is you know fitting when you know episode three was uh, Amanda when I was yeah, together. So that was heard brilliant, that yeah. The breakthrough project, amazing. Um, but what we do like to do on through the chat is I would like to go right back, right okay. back to so. What were the dynamics when you grew up? What put you on the on the path to becoming, you know, an economic whiz, as it were? <laughs> um, yeah, where were you born? What was the situation with mum and dad? Where yep. did you grow up? And yep. what was the path leading to? All right, um, I was born in Newcastle, so I'm a Geordie. Ah, so yeah. is my wife. Yeah, I know. I, awesome. I love that accent when I hear it. I mean, yeah. obviously my accent's gone. Um, uh, my dad was a, an engineer. Um, my mum... Weirdly enough, um, she stopped working when she started having kids, but she used to work for HSBC, as was Midland Bank, years ago. Okay. When she, which was kind of bizarre. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that until more recently. Um, so, born in Newcastle, then we moved to Manchester, uh, again following my dad's job. Uh, then from Manchester, moved to Lincolnshire, and we were really brought up in Lincolnshire. Uh, moved here about forty years ago. So, so that when you land in Lincolnshire, how old are you? Are you kind of ten? Your, so yeah, you're just starting to get into serious kind of oh, going to bigger school and yeah, no ten. I was a bit, but no, but a little bit younger actually. No, that's no, seven, seven. Okay, yeah, seven. Okay. Um, and how did you handle moving? Because obviously Newcastle and certainly Manchester, you know, much bigger cities and. Than Lincoln, but Lincolnshire as a county is a big county, I guess. But. Yeah, I don't, Newcastle, I don't remember. I moved when I was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my relatives were all up there, so we used to go back there quite a lot until my granny passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, Manchester, again, it was only, weirdly again, I don't remember much about being a kid in Manchester. Okay. But after I had this breakthrough, actually, when I, after I had my daughter, I started getting memories mm-hmm. back from that. Um, and then as part of what happened with the the breakdown, I started, my brain started just coming back to things that happened pre-seven. Um, but it was a pretty normal childhood. Uh, then uh, my, my dad's job then took us here, um, me and my three brothers, my eldest brother's my stepbrother, because my mum was married before, um, very briefly. Um, to a South African guy who upped and left her. Oh, no. And she she met my dad while she was singing in nightclubs. Your mum was singing in nightclubs? Yeah, and my dad was there. And apparently they started dating and my mum didn't tell my dad about my brother. Okay. And they got engaged and then she told him. Oh, wow. And he was bloody brilliant. He just sort of adopted him. And so he's he's, oh. he's been part of the family since then. Um but so we moved here and then, you know, life just was pretty cool. I went to the local primary school, um, then went to the girls' grammar school in Sleaford. Uh, my dad was working very hard. My mum was bringing us all up, four of us. So when you say your mum was singing in nightclubs and stuff, so what, what was your mum's kind of vocation? What was her... She's, she... she's quite... Um, she, she's very outgoing. Um, pretty, you know, she's quite, she was, she was and still is quite a vivacious, attractive lady. Um, so, I, you know, if you asked her what her vocation was, she said, oh, I don't know. I had a conversation with her the other day about it, actually. And she, she just, 
she said to me, I never understood that whole banking world you're in um, because she just doesn't see the, I don't know, the benefit. She, she, I think she probably thinks it's a bit soul-destroying. Mm-hmm. Confining or, or something. Yeah, and in some... But again, I've come to... I've thought a lot about that. You know, some it's soul-destroying in some ways, but in other ways it's what you make of it and how much you project onto it. That's... Again, we may maybe come to that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, so she, her role was to bring us up, but she was always, she did a lot of amateur dramatics and she's a brilliant singer, um, very vivacious. Actually, when my dad got his job, um, as he was CEO of a local company here, um, they didn't give him the job until they'd met her, which is a very traditional <laughs> wow. way of doing it, yeah, but it yeah. really mattered, yeah. you know, and they loved her. So she always jokes that he got her, she got him the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was it was like that. So, so she, what was the dynamic between your mum and dad like then? What was what, what do you remember of that? Oof, yeah, that's an interesting one. They're very different characters. They they're still married. Um, they live oh, locally. That's nice. Yeah, um, very very different characters. Again, he is very analytical, very solid. Not a lot seems to fluster him. My mum. Um, is much more outgoing. The flip side of that is she could be really sort of, you know, she'd Mm. flare up at any moment. But again, when you look back at things and your perception changes, she had a lot of stuff on her plate. My dad used to travel a lot. She had four kids. So she was looking after all of us. Um, But she was quite feisty and she was quite, um, loves being the centre of attention. Um, You know, just, yeah, she's, she's, an interesting woman. And with the, when when your dad used to come back, then were, were they? Do you remember them being sort of tactile and loving, or was no? Was it more practical and? I don't really remember. I don't really remember much about that. But I just, I I remember, and they'll hate me for this. I remember a lot of her sort of going off on one about things, and him just keeping the peace around it. Right. I remember a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't all like that, but that's, you know, when you're a kid, that's what sticks in your... And what about with you kids then? What was she like with you kids? Was she a playful mum? Were you outdoorsy kind of kids? Or was it was it was there a freedom? Or were you, was it strict? Was it, no, not at all strict. Um, uh, which... <laughs> We kind of just did our own thing, actually, which in some ways is quite liberating. But in other ways, what that started, I think, translating to for me is like, well, here I am. You know, mm. it, we, we just got on with stuff. We just did stuff. But we, you know, she would do a lot of um, art stuff with us. She would, uh, yeah, she'd, pl- she'd play with us, but she was very much about her, herself. She had a lot of strong self-esteem, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was doing a lot to support my dad in his career mm-hmm. as well. Um, so literally, you know, they used to have mad parties and we'd just be sort of left to get on with it. So in the house? Yeah, so yeah. lots of friends Yeah, lots and... of... Very social. <coughs> okay. um, they were very social. They, they still are, really. And how about you, you and your siblings then? So you've got, the, obviously, your older brother. Yeah. And then... Below, there's, there's you there's and then there's two, two older brothers two me, older brothers 
and then my little brother. Oh, so you and three brothers. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was interesting dynamic. So there was, and my little brother's seven years younger than me, so okay. he came sort of later on. Mm-hmm. Um, we always used to call him a mistake. Which was and what was the gap there. between you guys then? Was it much uh, between you Nick, and the older? Nick is 65, so he's four years older than I am. Mm-hmm. Then Gordon's uh, six years older. Okay. okay. But you so. guys were kind of... Did they look after you, or no. you, did you have to be toughened no. up and you're one of the uh, Yeah, I, I ended up being quite a tomboy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we used to fight. Me and my eldest brothers used to fight like cats and dogs, you know. And again, my mum, I think my mum just used to leave, <laughs> leave <laughs> us to it. Shut the door. It. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I never really never really thought about it much but yeah I was I was I ended up being quite a tough girl mm. Mm. which has its benefits of course I mean yeah. you know if you're going to grow up with three brothers and yeah it sounds like your mum's vivacious and yeah so what was dad like then was dad would dad come back from being away and be like you know are you his little girl or is he no 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 no, no none of that I mean again you, you always feel sort of um I think not guilty about me saying my dad wasn't affectionate. It's just not in his nature mm. to show a lot of affection. He was affectionate to my mum, but it's just not how he was. Mm-hmm. Um, With you kids. Yeah, but it didn't mean he didn't love us. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of us have to come to terms with. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you think of your parents and you kind of say things out loud that you feel, but then you... Yeah. It's not that you're not loved or it's just you just recognise as you grow. I don't yeah. know. You, you, have a, you have a hindsight, you have a... A feeling that oh well, maybe it wasn't quite like that, but you were loved. It's a strange thing. Yeah, a... I don't really remember doing anything with him. Right. Mm. At all. So did you feel close to them? Mm, no. Mm. I, I I almost didn't feel anything. Mm. If I felt close to anyone, it was my grandmother, who my dad's mum. Mm-hmm. Um. Who, when my when my mum had my little brother, she had a very difficult birth with him, and it ended up her both of them nearly not making it, um, and then they both survived, thankfully. And he was very slightly disabled when he was born. Um, he still is, but you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that period after he was born. Again, this started to come back to me. My granny kind of landed and just sort of took over because my mum was out of action for quite a while mm. on that. So I was very close to her. Um, and was she kind of the archetypal, you know? Yeah, very stoic, yeah. but very, you know, she'd make us toast and marmalade and mm. look after us. She would always look after us when my parents went away travelling and things like that. So she was, uh, yeah, she was great. And... You're a parent. Yes. You have a daughter. Yeah. How old is your daughter? She's 14 now. 14. So was there any conscious or subconscious sort of reflection on your on your own childhood that you brought forward when you became a parent that you were kind of aware of, do you think, or did, or did you not consider it? Or Yeah. Yeah, a lot, actually. So I think I was very overly conscious of 
I, I used to hate my mum and dad when they were shouting and arguing, you know, because I, I didn't know really what was going on. That's and my mum's feisty. And, you know, looking back on it now, they love each other. And that's just how they express their relationship. Mm. And I always used to think, you know, they'd get divorced, they split up, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I was always really conscious of, oh, you know, don't shout too much in front of Lucy. Uh, make sure you're there for her. Because even though my mum was there, I never felt she was there. Yeah. Um, because she's not like your traditional, you know, baking cookies, baking cakes mother. But then when I think about that, I don't think I even wanted that as well. It's, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what do you want? You don't yeah, know. Yeah, you don't know, especially um, when you are the, the child, when you're yeah, young. Yeah, you, you really don't know. So um, with Lucy, I was probably too trying to make it all perfect for her and not argue and things like that, which was part and parcel, I think, of what ultimately led up to what happened to me in 2016. Mm. So, yeah, really conscious of it. Yeah, isn't um, it? I, I, I'm similar in that way. You know, there's so many things. I mean, the old adage is that you hear yourself becoming your parents, don't you? You say the things yeah. that they used to say to you and you're yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. sound like my mom or my dad. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this podcast, it's kind of inception. Its whole thing was about, I'm just fascinated by how childhood is, as you've just pretty much said it there, you don't really know what you want when you're a kid. No. You know, and it's only since I've gotten older and educated myself a little bit and kind of studied it and researched and like the human condition is really whether you're baking cakes or colouring in or climbing a mountain or just watching a film all I can boil it down to is kind of just feeling like somebody wants you there yeah do you know what I mean and that, that you're it's, it's a bit of a cliche that you're seen yes yeah yeah like yeah. That, and, and that's not to be detrimental in any way to to our parents or no. it's just something I think culture and speed of life I think we just kind of take take it for granted and we kind of I don't know I, I'm really aware of that yeah. I'm aware of like some moments I'll look at the kids put them to bed and think God I had it today I took one of them to to his class um, and just realised how big he's getting and how quick it's going Yes, and that one day you know daddy will become dad and you know cuddles in the kitchen and you know, come and tuck me in, Dad. Don't go, Dad. Yeah. No, you know, that will the love won't necessarily change, but the way we express it, and the, the, I don't know, something about children are they're, uh, they're vulnerable is not the right word. They're like sponges. Yeah, and yeah. and and, and they're, you're you're kind of loading the software or whatever it is, the operating programs into them. Yeah, and. I don't know, there's something I'm, I find when I look at it, I think, oh, this is all going to be gone soon. They're all they're just going to be big 20-year-old blokes with their own lives and all these wonderful little simple moments of cuddles and, mm. you know, and explaining sort of simple little things to them mm. and how they work and what they mean will just be gone. Mm. And I think a lot of that can just be missing generally, you know, for, for people and for children. And I think that you end up with that feeling that you, you mentioned there where yes. kind of just like... And it, and it sometimes can only take one thing and to your point on programming so you know I've, I've read a lot about this and actually it's started to come to me naturally in a way about you know when you're born in this life or any other life you're you're literally born pure for want of a better word that's mm. not pure as in like a blank canvas yeah yeah and but whether that was when you're born now or when you go back to the beginning of creation you could get all esoteric about this 
But literally, whatever environment you're born into, it starts to condition you and program you. And it can be something really tiny that will set off a program later on in life. And you're like, where the fuck did that come from? But it will be something that happened to you that I don't even realise. Mm-hmm. Um, unintentional, intentional, whatever. And I think kids, kids just... I certainly now, in hindsight, you just absorb something, interpret it in a way, and then that starts to project through the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my my dad being away, he was away because he was working, you know, he was doing the right thing for the family. My little brain probably interpreted it as like, well, where's my dad? Mm. He, mm. He's not here. He's not mm. with me. And to your point, I think kids just want to feel like they mm. belong somewhere mm. and someone's really... Mm paying attention to them and not criticising them all the time. And there's a fine line because you've got to teach them a bit of resilience as well. You can't make everything perfect for kids, which is what I started to do with my daughter, actually. I started trying to make everything perfect and it's just mm. highway to nothing. Yeah. So it's that balance between being there but teaching them some sort of resilience as well mm. and believing in themselves. Because mm. somewhere along the line, I realised my belief in myself, and you would never have me pitch for this, just went, just went. And I could probably start to take it way back to when I was a kid because then I started overcompensating and constantly thinking about what do I need to do to be okay, to feel safe or loved or there because I wouldn't, I I would, because I've been in a, for all intents and purposes, quite a a good environment. With my dad away a lot, my parents would argue, because that's the feisty nature of Mm. their relationship, and you can only see that when you're an adult. I became hypersensitive to anything. I thought, well, what can I do to make sure everything's all right? Like, people-pleasing, that sort of... Not in a sort of um, weak way, but it, it was certainly overcompensating, and all my actions were driven by making things okay mm. so for other people so they would like me mm. and I think kids do that mm. because they get 100%, programmed 100% yeah. yeah 100% yeah I think it, you're exactly right it's um, it's it's such a difficult thing to especially when we're older to try and remember so I mean when you're rushing and you're stressing and you're like, right we've got to go and you're rushing the kids and you're like you forget you know you mentioned it there maybe the balance Sometimes I catch myself and you're, you're, you're taking too long. We're walking, you know, they're five. Yeah. And they're like, just, this is, yeah. you know, they're not doing something wrong, but maybe I'm stressed and I'm pulling them along and I'm sort of, you know, and then how does that make them feel? And then how, you know, like you said, it might be the, one of those days where daddy snaps a little bit and then maybe that sets off something, yeah. a change subconscious. Who knows? It's, it is a difficult, difficult thing. Um Okay, so you get to Lincolnshire. Yeah. You're kind of nine-ish. Uh, eight, yeah, probably. Dad gets a good job. Yeah. Your mum signs it off for him, so he gets it yes. basically. <laughs> yes. Um, and you settle down, and you get you you, you start at primary school. Yeah. Um, in Basingham. In Basingham. Yeah. Yep. In Basingham. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, so how does school go for you? How do you feel at school? What are you, you know, with your peers and socially? Do you how do you find that? Yeah, I, uh, primary school was cool. Um, 
I found it all right. I remember getting there, um, always conscious that I was always playing with, I was always gone with the boys, sort of. Um, well, that's your environment. That's your that safe was my habitat, environment. Isn't yeah, it? I had a couple of good girlfriends as well, but you know, I was just again a real, real tomboy. Um, but yeah, no really dodgy memories or bad memories about primary school. I do. Oh, I say that though, and again, it's back to my mum. I, I I got mortified because my mum. She's very good looking when she was on. She, you know, she's always she's a bit. She looked a bit like Elizabeth Taylor. Right? Well, well as, as you've been describing her, I've kind of been picturing that kind of, you know, almost like fifties kind of Hepburnish kind of yeah. lady. You know, the kind of yeah. So she, suave swagger to them. Yeah, exactly. Like, but she's tiny. She's like four foot eleven. She's got a <laughs> powerhouse. She's, she's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember she would pick me up, and I remember hearing one of the teachers. Obviously not knowing that, no, just saying how hot she was. And when you're a girl at that age... And hearing your and quite teachers. A, and hear your teachers... Authoritative figures talking yeah, about your mum. Yeah, talking about your mum. And <laughs> at, again, with hindsight, not really being comfortable in my own skin as a girl, clearly, I think. Mm-hmm. Or being surrounded by... It was just a bit of a... I remember going, oh, God, that's really weird. And I think I would have been eight at the time. Um it stayed with you. It stayed with me. And actually, and she'd, she'd kind of just come back into action because after she had my little brother, she had quite severe postnatal. Mm-hmm. And actually moving to Lincolnshire really sorted sorted her out. She just... What do you think? What, what was that then, do you think? just What caused it? No, what what helped to change, to, to help well, her Well, actually, recover? it was two things. Because she, she was... Um, she, she has told me she was agoraphobic and... Um, and again, she was quite a tough woman as well because when going off track a bit when she was young her mother was a working mother and she used to get home at age five sort of let herself in and out of and that would have been what that's that's yeah very unusual yeah very unusual so much in those times yeah so she she also didn't have anybody Mm. really so often what we see there yeah so so you can see how it generates Mm. Um, I've missed my point now. What was I going to say? She. Um, we were just coming. How? What? What made it feel like it worked for her coming to Lincoln? Oh yes. Well, she's. I think just the association with Manchester, which was where she'd had my little brother. She became quite agoraphobic. Um, couldn't get out of the house for a while. Again, I don't really remember much of this. All I remember is my granny being around. So it was a combination of my granny who was brilliant um she'd been on her own my granddad died very when she was quite young left her with two young kids oh as well but she would um she just came and sort of took any pills away from my mother said come on get out oh i love that That's yeah just said sort sort this out mm. um and then they moved and i think it just removed her for a bit from a bit from the situation and um completely different environment and she just Noticeably, just lifted. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't really remember anything about her being unwell, though. I think a lot of the moods at the time probably reflected that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the move and a, a change. Changes as good as rest. Sometimes. Have you ever spoken to your mum about that moment when that you heard the teacher? Uh, no, 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 I haven't actually. That's interesting. Mm. I, I didn't really speak to my mum about anything like I'm talking to you about okay. until after I had my 
breakdown. Okay, so you've spoken to obviously, and we're we're, we're moving and weaving towards that. But so so as you you're at primary school, you, you you've had this moment that kind of colours peripherally. I I don't know. Is it an understanding of yourself, or is you is there a how how does that I sit with you at that point? It, it she and I were so different in that. I mean, I, bear in mind, I think at this time, I, I asked for my hair to be cut really short on one side and long on the other and just was outside all the time playing. That was great, right? Just mm-hmm. mucking out with my brothers. And my mum was just this beautiful... Did she want you to be like a girly girl? Was she, would I she think she dress probably, you up and... She would you know? plait my hair and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. she... I think yes and no. Yes and no. And I always started to feel like I could never be that be that sort of beautiful kind of thing it was that kind of intimidating in a way maybe a little bit yeah mm. maybe a little bit mm. um yeah so she again none of this intentional it was just yeah. i started thinking well i i, I couldn't compute her with me Right. If that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, no, of course. So it, it almost as if... But I couldn't compete myself with my dad either. And lots of people say I'm much more like my dad. But I think I'm a mix of both. But I think at that time, I just... I felt like such a... Weirdly, like such an outsider. But I didn't even know it. And Yeah. I felt really... I think lots of people do feel like this, you know. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, I don't yeah, I'm not unique. So as you start to move into kind of adolescence and puberty and big school. Yes. How what starts to how are you with the, how are you going through those transitions? It, it, does mum sit with you like when you know when, with girls you sit down and say right these, these you're going to change you're going to grow into a young No, none of that. You know like sort of guide you in boys are going to start no, you know. No. Didn't she, she didn't do not that I remember. Mm-hmm. Right, I could be doing her a massive disservice, but well, we'll get her on, and we'll, yeah. we'll... <laughs> actually you should. She's just she, she she's she's been interesting one actually. Oh, well, she'd maybe be should do that. She'd that, love it. Yeah, and it'd be, it. be interesting for you as well. It would, wouldn't it? It would. So you're don't... you're going off to secondary school then, and yeah. is that in the city in in Lincoln or are you... at the at the girls' grammar school? Now, now here's an example of where they're really trying to do the best for the kids, right? So you have this impression that you know they don't like you, they don't love you, but. My mum and my dad fought tooth and nail for me to do the 11 plus so I could go to the grammar school instead of going to the local local school. And my brothers had gone to the local schools, which was fine, but they wanted me to go to um, the all-girls school. And I did my 11 plus, passed, got in there. Um, so they were trans- transitioning, transitioning me, I think, intellectually, but were they preparing me for that move... Has anybody considered that you've just spent 11 years with boys and now you're going to be just with girls? No. I wonder if that's... That's, a... that's interesting. That never crossed my mind, actually. You know, I mean, obviously you've been at primary school, mixed, yeah. but like predominantly, you've said it yourself, you know, you're a tomboy, you're just mucking in with the boys and then my wife went to an all-girls school. I don't know that many people because where I grew up, it wasn't really a thing. But... Um, when I speak to my wife about being at an all-girls school, I can't fathom being at an all-male school. So never mind having... If I'd have grown up with only sisters, 
and then gone to That's only male school. Like that is because all of those things that you've built in your mind, the parameters of social, yes, they're all kind of like whoa, yes, you know. So I wonder how that, how was it for you? It was. I mean. <laughs> That's a really interesting perspective. I've never thought of it about it like that. Mm. Um, it was good. It was fine. I, I loved school, actually. I got there. But I was, again, I was always the tomboy. How did the girls take you then? Did you get on with the girls as well? You know, did, Yeah, you, did you I, find... I did. I had a, you know, a core group of good friends. And then I, then I went through the usual teenage stuff of when we got a bit older. Um, that, you know, do you look right? You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't realize, didn't realize at the time, but probably had a semi-eating disorder because of, of a good friend of mine, um, Katie. She she started there a couple of years later. Her parents were in the RAF close to here, up at Cranwell, um, and they got they got moved just before sixth form, and she came to live with us. And she she again, it's another interesting dynamic which I have realized. She was very pretty, mm-hmm. like beautiful. Right, and she was a good friend of mine, but there's the subconscious um, competition. I think, of, yeah, aware of her symmetry. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a funny dynamic. And again, my brothers thought she was great, and we we got on brilliantly now. But it, I think there was again the programs running underneath it all was probably something to do with oh, there's another very attractive lady, lady, yeah. and. Again, it's not that I'm unattractive, but in in your head, I think lots of things were going on with that. But at school, I had a I had a great school time. I you know I was house captain. I was doing Duke of Edinburgh award. Um, bit of a nerd, you know. You studied. enjoyed the academic side, and I did. You were all right with the social stuff. No? Yeah, yeah. My sixth form. It was. It all seemed absolutely fine, but. Always, always. I was always just slightly. I was never a very girly girl, so mm-hmm. I was never sort of having all those sort of girly mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was never quite sure where I fitted in. I mm, think, in hindsight, you wouldn't look at me and think that. But I was just sort of. Well, we're so good at that, aren't we? We're so good at blending and you know, sort of adapting yeah. to. The, the operating level on the surface of things. Yeah. As you mentioned there, you know, you kind of... We're operating on this level of acceptance socially. You know, we yeah. say the right things, we do the right things, we you know, we, we try and perceive the correct actions, but you go down another two or three or four layers and there's all these sub-layers of like, but what does that mean that? I know I should do that because that's what the culture... Yeah. You know, but then I feel like this, but then that's not, you know... and. That's very confusing when you're young. Hence, <clears throat> if you've got a mum and dad who sort of think, oh yeah, I'll, I'll check in with, check in with Jane because she's 15 and I've been, you know, and yeah, you know, and she's probably going because th- I can remember what it was like to be 15. Because that's again something I'm really trying to remember to remember is shit. You know, they're eight, nine, they're te- whatever. You know, what, what yeah. was I feeling like then? You know, because one thing that does stick with me, just as tangent slightly, I always remember. Adults who came into my life might have been parents, uh, friends, or whatever it may be, but uh, someone who got down on the knees and kind of took the time to embrace you, rub you on the head, look you in the eyes, ask you how you were, give you a sweet. That sounds like 
you know, not the, not the guy at the park mm. who wants to give you a sweet, but do you know what I mean? Someone who might come around to your house who mm. actually takes the time and sort of, I always remember those people, uh, there was an energy that came there. Mm. And it might be what you are saying earlier about just someone recognising that you're here. Yeah. And I try and do that. Whenever there's, you know, friends, children or anything, I'll always take a moment to sort of, do, you know, let them know. Yeah, that, you you've, know. that you've seen them. Did you have any of that secondary school? Are mum and dad still kind of, still where they where they were? Was yeah, it kind of, so when I was at secondary, he's a, he was away working hard. Uh, my mum's, I mean, it shifted a bit as we all got a bit older. Um, my, obviously with my little brother, there was a lot of hospital visits to try and sort out his disabilities. So I sort of, we'd just get shoved in the car, drove up to Sheffield to have his physiotherapy and stuff. Um, again, my mum doing a lot of this on her own because my dad's working. Um, my oldest brothers, yeah, doing doing their own thing, f- fighting with me <laughs> incessantly. You know, <laughs> I, I remember once building a. They used to shoot at me with um, cow cake from air pistols. Mm-hmm nice <laughs> but then i would sort of dig holes in the garden and put sticks in it so they'd fall down oh in, like into, trap kind yeah. Of yeah i mean stupid stuff like that like bury their action men and things yeah. like that but the dynamic was you know was it any different to any other family i i don't know but i again i always what it what i do know it did is it made me very i will rely on myself and nobody else mm-hmm. I, I was very like well i'll just I'll always be able to sort myself out. Mm-hmm. It, and I think that probably started at about seven. Or may, maybe before then, but it was always like, I'm tough, I'm resilient, I, you know, it doesn't really matter what anything happens, I can... So I, I became quite an introvert, extrovert, if, if you know what I mean. So yeah. I, I'd be out there doing stuff, but really I'd be like, well, don't need anybody else, I can do it all myself. Mm. You can't, um, Yeah, kind of accepting confidently accepting you know that maybe you've just got to crack on on your own and I'll be I can do this yeah but but what I subsequently learned it was more out of a a, I became tough through a fear that something bad might happen rather than Mm. a Mm. self-belief so school goes okay yep mum and dad aren't really checking in to say what no. about boyfriends? Did you get a first oh. boyfriend and was there... Yeah, yeah. So, Well, actually, mum and dad not checking in just made me think about something because I academically, I was quite good. I never mm. need to be pushed, whereas my brothers were, you know, always just sort of having to push them. So there was a lot of tension. So were they actively on top of your brothers? Come on, guys, we've got to, we've got to get... They can were we do dealing can we do with... More? They were dealing with things like my brother rewriting the exam because he couldn't answer the... He couldn't answer the question, so he wrote his own, which I thought was <laughs> quite—I thought that was yeah. quite innovative. But you Pass know, that kid. yeah. Um, but so again, it's like they didn't really need to sort me out. It's like she sorted. So, which is kind of a ailment of what you've just said, like sort of quite confidently realizing, okay, well, I'm going to fend for myself, and I can. Yeah. So then it generates. It generates itself. that. Well, yeah. she's all right because she's tough. Yeah, and always was. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um. So, what was he questioning him? So, was there any boyfriends? Was there any? Was there any moments in your? You know, did you do anything crazy where mum and dad had to had to come and sort of step in and say, right, let, we need to have a chat, Jane? Um, so, boyfriends again, late developer didn't really have a boyfriend until I was about sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, then, 
got my first serious boyfriend, 17. Weirdly enough, lived in Navenby. And his parents still live around the corner. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that later yeah. on, I'm sure, because uh, yeah. pre-podcast we were just chatting Navenby. Yeah. Um, so they never really stopped me from seeing anyone, but I was, I was interested in horses and being outside. You know, I had no interest in boys. And when that did start developing, they were pretty cool about it, but I don't remember any chats about it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything... In particular, in fact, the first intervention I remember having was probably about age eighteen, and I think I probably had first sort of first had sex when I was seventeen, and getting down and dirty about it. My period had stopped, and I was like, "Oh shit, mm-hmm. I'm pregnant!" Mm-hmm. Right, so I had to tell my mum about that. I wasn't; it wasn't because I wasn't eating properly. Right. So that's another, but. Mm-hmm. I remember sort of just uh, telling her and her being very practical about it, just taking me to the doctors, but we didn't, we just, she just took me to the doctors. So did, did the practical side, but didn't emotionally no, find out where didn't, you were? No, didn't have any emotional conversation about it whatsoever, mm. at all. So practically sorted out, nothing wrong, carried on. Um, but yeah, but they never, they were quite uninvolved with the sorts of people I went out with, but I didn't go out with anybody... Who would trigger a kind of, oh, what's going on? No, the only time, and this is very funny, the only time (laughs) that my dad ever said something when I was a little bit older, which we'll probably get on to, and I've seen this guy. I'd I'd gone to university and I'd come back and I went back to university and I started seeing this guy um, and my parents weren't sure about him and uh, I am now dating him. Now? Yes. Oh, wow. Which is hysterical. Okay, so we'll, that, that, that's going to weave its way back in. <laughs> and they love course. him. But... Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like it'll be a, a Yeah, that was, nice it's, it's, it's quite a funny, funny dynamic. And again, my, it was my dad saying to me, I'd split up with him and, I, and then I said, oh, I'm going to go back with him. My, my dad said to me, he didn't, he just said, do you think you really want to do that? And that was enough for him to, me go, oh, do I really want to do that? He didn't say don't. But because the nature of my dad is he never shouts, but if he makes a comment on anything or says anything, you really listen because he rarely mm. interferes, which is quite powerful, actually. It's, it is. It's probably more powerful than, than anything else. Yeah, but it put the, it just made me go, oh, God, I don't want to disappoint him, and should I? So I didn't start seeing him again. But, Do you but think... everything happens for a reason. Yeah, totally, and clearly. Clearly. As it, as, as it comes back around. Yeah. Okay, then, so you mentioned university. Yes. So you've gotten through school. You 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 by now you're pretty much in a strong momentum of right. I just take care of business myself. You, yeah. You sound like you're making pretty sensible decisions. Yeah. Anyway. I'm, I'm supported by my parents. Yeah. Intellectually. Yeah. 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 And you're in a safe family environment. Yeah. 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 It's all there, like you said at the start. You know, everything's in the picture. Yeah. As it should be. Yeah. Um. So university then, you go off. To London. To London. Yeah. To study. So I got my A-levels, good A-levels, although my dad did say what happened to the... I got two A's and a B, and my dad said what happened to the other A. Mm -hmm. That stuck in my head for a long time, actually. Just Um, as simple as that again. It was simple as that. He didn't even... I think he was joking. Or was he? You know, I don't... Yeah, I don't know, but my perfectionist thing went, oh, you know. Anyway, I went to London to study economics... Um, and geography at the London School of Econ- Economics, so brilliant. Mm, um, amazing. Yeah, 
but I didn't even realise at the time. It just went, you know, <laughs> just yeah. uh, um, went down to London, started the course. Uh, Were you excited to go and do that? Did you feel like it was just kind of, oh, this is the natural next step? It's like a routine? Yeah, or it, was just, you... it was a routine, but again, slightly unusual. All my friends were going off to big campus universities in sort of provincial cities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I chose to go to London and it wasn't really like a campus. I was thrown right into the middle of central London mm. um, and coming from Lincolnshire, not being used to the city. Um, and I don't know what made me do that. I think it was it was, it was quite an unusual was choice. Was it your, your choice then? It wasn't uh, yeah, like absolutely. Dad, dad uh, saying, no, no, this is Of course, you're... I rolled out which universities. I mean, I looked at Nottingham, looked at Durham, I looked mm. at everywhere. Um, and we went through it, but then I decided to go there. Um, started the course, but for some reason just didn't, settle i think it i think it was a combination of just going to london uh a whole different ball game getting flashed out on the street or you know just mm. a bunch of different things and i just decided i didn't like it and i was still seeing the the guy just mentioned at the time mm-hmm. um so i left and i got and a place he, was he still back here then he was still back here so i was sort of going up and down of course yeah. a bit mm-hmm. so i wasn't really settling yeah in either place yeah um, and at that age as well, when you're in a serious relationship like that, that's a strong pull, yeah. isn't it? To kind of yeah start to justify any kind of wandering of yeah um, yeah. So um, got a place at Nottingham University, but then again through, and I've come to believe in synchronicities through just weird bunch of circumstances. The tutor from the LSE called me and sort of said, do you want to come back? I was like, and I, I sat down and I talked it through. And most people in the UK, a lot of the tradition, don't recognise the LSE as a sort of, it, but it is one of sort of the Ivy League schools mm. for economics. So actually giving up a place there was a bit stupid. So I sort of sat down and spoke to a few people and I decided to go back the following year, which was really good, on a slightly different course. Um, and then loved it, had a great time. I think it was just, it just came, it was just a bit of a shock to the system the first time around. Um, so thrown into that and thrown into an environment, centre of London, um, very international school. So lots of uh, foreign students there, more foreign students than English students. Um, studying hard, met one of my best friends. She was in the dorm right next to me, um, who's still a brilliant friend now mm-hmm. um, and just sort of worked my way through it um, so just quickly yeah for the for the tutor or the or the um, lecturer to give you a call what do you think triggered that for them to give you a call back had you stood out did they see your potential were you a model student what, what do you think I don't know that? it's a good question have, something positive must have resonated because well I wasn't I didn't get a first when I was there I got a 2-1 so mm-hmm. um I don't know, I kind of gelled with him when we were doing the tutorials and I kept in touch with him. And I, I think at that time, they probably don't like to see decent students mm. Lee, I, I honestly don't know what it was, but he did, did Great. it. Amazing. Um, so you, you did that then, you finished that. Yeah. And then what? what's the next move? Where, what, where well, you... after university, yeah. um, I left university, really. Um, and I'd been doing sort of odd jobs as you do to have some money while you were there, while I was there. Um, 
I didn't really want to come back up here straight away or at all at the time. Um, so I started working, I stayed in London and I started working for a film company um, as a receptionist. Um, and I got that job through contacts, as is the way in the film mm. world, mm -hmm. um, which I loved, but I couldn't afford to stay at it because they didn't pay anything. Mm. And there's a lot of trust fund kids there. And, mm. you know, I just, I couldn't afford to justify living in London and, and stay. And also living and living in London and working is a very different thing to being a student mm. there. Mm. So I did that and it was great. I used to get like, it was a, it was a funny dynamic and it was a lesson for me. I remember well, I was working on reception and I was being a runner and um, I get these calls and I got, I used to get, told off for not knowing who these famous people were calling, right? And I'm just like, well, you know... Uh, Who's this, please? Yeah, and the, the, the slightly less famous people were the worst ones. Like, one day I had Andy Garcia call me, and he was, he was lovely, right? You know, sounds like name-dropping, but he was having a chat. Mm. But then I get the sort of less famous, and, you know, don't you know who I am? I'm just like... Oh, the chip. I'm like, oh, my God, <clears throat> this is really weird. And mm. I just... Something that even then just made me start thinking about, this is a bit of a weird mm. dynamic. Mm. Um, but it was a lot of, lot of fun. Um, anyway, I left. I got a job, an easy job. Um, and I got a job in uh, pharmaceutical repping, mm. um, which gave me some sales training and a car um, because just needed to do something. That was after working at our price for a bit and what have you, um, which I did and I was very good at, but I hated. And what made you hate that then? I just found the whole, I was never a big fan of hospitals. I just found the whole thing of taking drugs, drugs into doctors and being trained to sell to them in a certain way to make them prescribe things that might not necessarily be the best for the patient. Oh my lord, this is a podcast on its in on its own. This. <laughs> yeah, it was I just <clears throat> it, the the poor they they didn't really want to see us and we didn't you know and it was just a it was just a strange environment and how much did you actually know about the drugs? They they you, train you. They train you and the training was great. I had a lot of laugh. I met some good people, right? Mm. You know. Um, but they they did give us a course in one was a, a migraine drug, one was a fungal nail treatment drug, and one was uh, what was the other one? HRT. Right. So those are the three products I was selling, um, and they give you background and they tell you about them. So you do know a little bit about the drug. But I felt like a fraud because I was sitting there talking to a doctor about um, not ailments, HR about conditions. Of people. When you say HRT, is that like hormone hormone replacement therapy? Yeah. 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 So for okay. menopausal women. Yeah. Um, but I was trying to sell something to a doctor who's been through years and years of training, um, on the basis of six weeks training about this drug and conditions and what have you. And it just it just didn't sit well. But I was good at it. But they even trained you to, and again, it's good psychology. Is when you were holding your pen to you wave the pen around and then you take the doctor's eye to the card that you were showing them 
that had all the drug information on wow. it. So they would follow it. So there was quite a good, uh, there was a lot of psychological... That side of things. I mean, that sales per se, whatever you're selling, isn't it? I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's a whole body language mirroring thing that you do that, you know, that is primal to us. You yes. know, we're looking for that kind of symmetry. Yes. But when you start to contrive it and build it to be a certain way to a certain end... Yeah. <sighs> That's a real dichotomy, isn't it, of like your, yeah. your, your ethical value because you want to earn your money and you've got, you know, but I don't know how much people know about what it is they're selling, especially knowing what we know now in 2020 with, you know, um, the yeah. kind of, you know, the, the internet's kind of pulled the curtain back on what we can find out about these kinds of drugs, these exactly. kind of industries. Exactly. And it, it was just, it was funny. And I, I didn't like the whole dynamic of, there was a lot of guys who are reps as well and, you know, they always the the uh, receptionists in doctor surgeries always loved the guys you know they didn't really like the girls going in because mm -hmm. it's just it's just the yeah. dynamic we're well, in this boring room for nine hours and then here yeah. comes the handsome charismatic exactly. salesman who's going to give me some flirty jibes uh, and yeah exactly so it just again it's hard to say it was bad it just it just didn't sit with me very well um so and i should have known because on the first day of the train I crashed my car so it should have been, <laughs> should have been a sign <laughs> um, and I, I remember sort of driving driving around the M25 thinking what am I doing even then I was like what am I doing but it paid mm. for a while mm. Um, mm. so I did that and then I left because I didn't like it um, and then I got a job working for the local government in social and economic development which I actually, the subject area, I was doing a lot of that at school. So it was for a training and enterprise council who basically tried to invest in the local area. And it was Milton Keynes that I was working in um, to, you know, attract jobs, do good social stuff to develop local economies. And because of my background and what I'd been studying, I actually found that really fascinating and really interesting. What can you do to generate more jobs in locations mm -hmm. and things like that? Um, so I worked for them for a while. I, I like that, but I found the, again, I found the government um, bureaucracy around it a bit frustrating. And we were sending a lot of the work we were doing out to a consultant, to advisors, to, and then implement it. So mm -hmm. I thought, right, screw that. I'll go and work for the consultant instead. Got mm -hmm. paid more. Mm -hmm. So I then did that. Okay. Um, which again was good. Um did that for a few years and I was working for that consultancy company for a while and there was, there was a lot of stuff going on in the background personally behind that but I was working for them and when I was working for them they got bought by a property company um, called DTZ um, and it was when I wanted to go to Hong Kong that happened and by some coincidence the one of the owners of the of DTZ was based in Hong Kong who then became the chief executive of Hong Kong um, so I, I ended up working for a property company basically doing economics for a property company and that's the company that moved me to Hong Kong so when you said they, there was personal things going on as well I just wanted to bring us back and kind of bring the listener with. yeah I'm a bit all over the place no, no, not, yeah. not, no you're not yeah. you, you've, it's perfect I'm, I'm just thinking you, you're going through these jobs you've, you've flown through uni you, you, you're doing an interesting array of jobs I mean, yeah. I, who, yeah. Who remembers our price, by the way? I know. I, lo I loved it Big there. Shout out to our price. I loved it. Um, so, 
would you speak? Were you speaking to mum and dad on the phone? Was were you writing letters? No, Did, were you checking no, no. in, or would it be kind of like it's Christmas and is a card? I, I'd now see doing... them more than Christmas time. I mm-hmm. mean, when I was, I started. Um, I was living in Northamptonshire at the time, and I was working for the for the. Uh, first started working for the Training Enterprise Council and actually when I was working for the pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. so I wasn't far away and I'd mm-hmm. see them every so often and my older brother had, the reason I went to Northampton is because he'd moved there with oh, so his my job. next question is are you still sort of speaking to your brothers yeah, and are yeah. they still beating you up and... well no no he, he'd, he'd gone there to work for a local estate agent so that really was what took me took me there um, so I'm seeing them but I'm not on the phone every yeah. Yeah. every week or anything like that yeah just keeping in the loop yeah yeah. Okay. So I guess then Hong Kong kind of appears. There's a, there's a there's a avenue to really make a jump. Yes. Change. Yeah, I didn't know it at the time. Um yeah, Hong Kong Hong Kong appears um like I said the guy that I was seeing at the time. I, by this time I'd moved down to uh I was living in Reading, Windsor. Area, yeah, I was born down there. Oh, yeah, whereabouts? I was born in Taplow in Maidenhead, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, which was actually that area was very alien to me. Uh, I just found it, I quite like the more earthiness of the I felt being from the north of the north at the time or London. So, but I moved there and, um, I've seen this guy who lived in London, he worked for uh, Citibank, he was a trader, um. And introduced by the friend that I told you about that lived with us. She was at Bristol University and it all sort of came together. Um, he got moved. I've been seeing him for a while. I don't know why in hindsight for so long, but anyway. Um, <laughs> he's a lovely guy, but I, anyway. Yeah. Um, and I said to the, again, it was just a weird situation. The company had just been bought and... I said, look, have you got any jobs in Hong Kong? So I went over with him when he went for his interview and went into the offices of my company, met the guy, a guy there who subsequently emceed at my wedding um, and sort of said, have you got any jobs? And he said, yes. Um, so I got offered a job and it was almost too, it was just... Yeah, just all happening. It just, just happened. Yeah. And I remember getting on the Cathay plane from Heathrow to Hong Kong. Um, I'd just been up to see my parents and my friend took me to... Oh, there's another story as well. <laughs> I'd been going out with a guy for about seven years in Northampton. Mm-hmm. Lovely guy. Parents loved him. And my friend took me to, who took me to um, Heathrow is now married to him. Oh, yeah. It's a bit yeah. of a theme here. Yeah. No, this is another one. Oh, right. All, all, oh, my, all my old boyfriends. I like go. this community. You've got a sense yeah, of I just, community. I just train them and send them <laughs> on. Um, anyway, so I moved out there. Yeah. Um, I started working uh, for DTZ and working for the guy who subsequently became the chief executive of Hong Kong. Not a very popular one, actually, mm. in the end. Um, and life just took a whole other... Yeah. Whole other... How did you take to living in Southeast Asia, then? Um, very easily. Mm. Really easily. It was... Hong Kong's very... Is this have, have, did you go when you were living out there? I didn't ever went to Hong Kong. I remember my mum going. My auntie was an air hostess for BA... Yeah, and my uncle was a captain pilot, and my mum would hop on you know, and take trips. And yeah. I always remember Dubai and Hong Kong being like shopping trips. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this was, I guess, when before we, uh, the UK, England, sort of handed back. Yeah. 
was that ni- late 90s? 97. 97, 97 yeah. yeah. So is this pre-97? No, it was 2001. 2001, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I never got there. So how was it then? How um, could, it, it seems electric when I look at the It is electric. Images, it's yeah. an amazing, it's very, at the time, it's a very easy place to settle into. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of expats there to get to know. Um, the, the work, I think if you could, if you had half a brain and you could just worked hard yeah you could work Muster hard and yeah. do something make something happen um it was a very you know i probably spent the first i was there 20 years maybe the first 16 years <laughs> drinking way too much partying way too hard but working very hard at the same time mm-hmm. um and it's a very small big but small community mm-hmm. um so yeah it was great it was what was not to like about it really and were you making regular trips back to the UK did you miss the UK in any way no not really it was it was such a weird thing I kind of just got on the plane and went but I was also running away from a bunch of stuff as well because the bit we missed out was I'd I'd started seeing this guy in Northampton Mm -hmm. this rugby player Ed lovely guy still friends with him now Mm -hmm. Um, but I I screwed that up self-sabotaged the whole relationship Mm. Um, but I kind of left it was almost like I needed to leave a bunch of stuff that I'd got myself into personally behind so it didn't it didn't really it didn't really it wasn't a hard thing to do so when you say you got yourself into things personally or yeah. your self-sabotage relationship what 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 do you think's behind that then are you were you partying and drinking here or no, are no. you just kind of coping with something internally or well I, I didn't know at the time but again things this has revealed itself to me as I've gone through this process but I was I was seeing this guy lovely guy um I keep saying that don't I mm. like I'm trying to justify him um he asked me to marry him I sort of got engaged but I knew I didn't really want to right farmer not not engaged because you didn't want to get married and sort of draw the line in the sand or uh, not a bunch him. of reasons I just yeah. commi- massive commitment for right. massive yeah um, and I just I kept thinking oh there's more more to life mm. there's more this that and the other I just I didn't know what it was but I just didn't want to settle I didn't want to be a farmer's wife at that time um, I, just, I just thought there was more going on um, so he, he'd he asked me to marry him I'd said yes then I said no um, I sort of half got involved with someone else then I met the banker guy but it was all it was all just a bit of a mess in my head mm. Um, so I think I just, I think now I probably just went, all right, I need to get away from that for a while. Um, and Hong Kong was was perfect. Yeah, Hong Kong was perfect for that. And so you say 16 years, I mean, that's a long chunk of time to, you're just having a good time and working hard in that time and building up your kind of your foothold in Hong Kong, I guess. Yeah. And I was working hard. I mean, I will give myself credit for that. I sort of got this, and I'm pretty adaptable, pretty get on, get on with things. I sort mm. of, I was thrown into the job, um, the initial job, and just got on with it, learned new skills. But you can in Hong Kong at that time. You, if you were, you, you could, it's just the nature of it. Mm. It wasn't as bureaucratic as sometimes L- London could be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more dyna, dynamism dyna about mm. it. So mm. um, I got headhunted by another company, um, to don't go and do some consultancy work. It was great. 
uh, a property company called Jones Lang LaSalle. Um, met a bunch of friends who are still good friends there. Um, always quite quite a lot of being a woman in a pretty male-dominated world, although I had a female boss at that company for a while. Um, used to get sent on assignments to the Philippines, to China. To It was it was all such a learning curve, but I was like 30, 30, you know, you know, blonde and... And travelling the world and, yeah. Yeah, at that time, mainly Asia. Right. Um, so it just... It just took a on a life of its own. You just kind of got on with exciting. So yeah. I guess in a way, when you when you kind of envisage envisaging yourself a couple of well a few years prior to am I going to be a farmer's wife sort of settled down yeah. that thing you were you know you you kind of manifested it. You did. It <laughs> yeah. happened, and you're on a plane yeah. going to Vietnam, and now you're going here, and now you're going there, and you're in this, and everything's fast. And yeah, it's not something I imagined doing, but it felt quite easy and at home mm. doing it, and it was. The experiences were amazing mm. in hindsight, and you know you'd you would work anybody who was in Hong Kong at that time say, and it's still a very hard working place would say it it was a very expat community, but it was it, I wouldn't have wanted to be there not working if that makes any sense yeah, of course. if I'd been an expat wife, I probably wouldn't have been as mm. I had a lot of good friends who are expat wives, so nothing against them. But it just widowed to the golf course. Widowed to the golf course, yeah. <laughs> just, but and there's a there's a dark side to it as well in lots of ways. But mm-hmm. yeah, and I just. So when you're partying hard, are you you're an intelligent lady? Yeah. Are you looking after yourself as well? Are you doing any kind of training, any fitness? I was. You... I got. I kind of got into sailing, and yeah, I was. I've never not been unfit, really. So. I was doing a bit of that, mm-hmm. probably not enough, but I just, I was eating whatever was available and <laughs> just going out late and yeah. then going going to work the next, and you could at the time, sometimes you go to work the next day and you'd still be a bit sort yeah. of, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but that that was my first job. You change it and, but then your bosses are doing that. Everyone's doing it, right? Mm. So you're just kind of like, well, this is this is cool. Yeah. The lots of junks and lots of, it it was it was great, but you'd still, I'd still be able to hold my own in things. Um, but there was, yeah, it it was a funny environment. And I, I was, I was working very hard, but I was also finding the way I was getting through things was to be very, um, to work, not even consciously. I'd, I'd get on with the guys in the office who were really making the decisions. It was a fact at the time. So I'd, I'd always, I'd always try and fit in with them. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, even to the point where I went on a a, a course to Bangkok, and you know, I ended up in um in a I forgot what it's called now. In Bangkok. Yeah the 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 red light the oh like the the not Pattaya what's it called that's P- that's Pattaya Pattaya's Pattaya's in Phuket but. Pattaya's on the mainland, so Pattaya's like maybe two hours south of Bangkok, and it's the beach town where basically the sex capital. I live just outside of it. Yeah, yeah. So, but but I, you know, walking street. Yeah, the guys would go down to see the sex shows, and I'd go with. It was it was that kind of dynamic, you know. So, um, it was a funny old dynamic, but that's just what you did. Well, yeah, and again, you've gone, you've gone, (laughs) you grew up with the boys. You are a tomboy. You went to school with the girls, then you've gone to work. With, with the, the boys. boys, yeah, yeah. So, what, what, where does Hong Kong lead? What happened? You know. Well, I got there. I was 
was dating the guy at the time, but that didn't last very long. And then I met my husband okay. on junk. Okay. Hung over. Right. So, <laughs> um, what well, my now ex-husband. Um, so that, again, it, it's, the work was working out. I met him, uh, American guy, Cleet, um, great guy, lots of fun. He just left the US for the first time ever, got there six months before I did. Um, never been out of the US before, um, 22. So it was just like, oh, you know, and it, weirdly enough, he just just knew he needed to leave Texas right. at the time. So I met him um, and we ended up getting married. So was it like a whirlwind kind of a thing? So he's, is he is he younger than you? He's younger than me. He's, uh, he's, so I'm 50, he's 42 now. Right, okay. So seven years difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I think he was, he wasn't even 30 at the time. Um, yeah, we just, it was, I was, I think I was so sick of English yeah. <laughs> It was just, and I remember bringing him back here and it, it, it was almost like it was, I don't, not, not meant to be, but it was just, there was just this dynamic thing that was working. It was, everything was just very different to what I'd been used to in terms of going out with people. I was in Hong Kong. Um, we got married. Um, his parents didn't quite know what to make of me because they're very traditional when you say traditional in Texas, what Baptist, yeah, religiously, religious, minded, but there was a, there's another backstory on that one. That would be a whole other podcast. Okay. Um, but so, yeah, it it just happened, and then we carried on working. Then we had Lucy, um, and so what's Cleet like as a dad when you say I'm pregnant? Is he? Do, do, are you trying? Is it like uh, not? Not trying, but not not trying. Yeah, sort you're, of allowing you married yeah, and yeah. you're, you're going to uh, be married. But classic me, you know, I was at work not feeling well. So instead of going, oh, you know, let's wait. I ran down to the local chemist, got a thing, went into the loose at work. I said, mm-hmm. oh, I'm pregnant. You know, mm-hmm. just it was just mm-hmm. like very sort of matter of fact. Yeah. But the weird thing was I completely freaked out because I found out I was pregnant and we'd signed on a flat that day um, in Hong Kong. And property's expensive in Hong Kong. And... We'd put the. I'd taken the mortgage because I was earning more, mm-hmm. and it, we didn't get caught in the U.S. tax system and that kind of thing. Um, but I found out I was pregnant, and I got the mortgage right on the same. So suddenly, my whole life was like shit. Yeah. So th- it was wow. all this parting. It was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> well, you know, it was really. It was. I remember it really vividly. Going, oh, this is changing. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, it all mm. changed. Mm. Um, it it's almost changed. like it has to be that way for you, though, in the in the way that but extreme, yeah, yeah. kind of like yeah, but extreme, but like considered though as well, you know, yeah, thought yeah. out and pragmatic and open, all all kind of the the opposites are kind of it, working it, together. It's, yeah, it's a good way. Of, it was almost like everything that's happened was it just happened because it had to happen, mm. and mm. I I think that happens for a lot of things, even the good, even the bad things. They teach something, but. So how does Cleet take it then? We're pregnant. Um, I don't remember. Right, that's interesting. He, I called him on the phone, so I couldn't. Maybe I don't remember because I called him. I couldn't see his face. Mm. But he was happy with it. You know, mm. it's again traditionally. You know, that's what you do when you get married. You have kids. Mm. Um, but I freaked out. I really did. Really? Yeah, freaked out. What? In in what sense you the responsibility? Emotion, responsibility. Am I going to be able to do this, or all, this is going to stop me from all, doing what I want to I do? I didn't. I didn't think it was. I wasn't like, oh, it's going to stop everything. But I was like, can I do this? It right. was. Mm. I, it, yeah, it was. 
the universal. But, but it took me about. I went. I had about an hour of that. Then I went on fine. <laughs> you know, it's going to be fine. I just like get on with it because what can you do? Yeah, then... Which is good and bad. Well, it is. I mean, it's inevitable as well. I think. Yeah. There's no news like. I mean, we spoke earlier about the impact of children and children. Sort of, we take things for granted in yeah. children's lives. I mean, the news that you're pregnant, you're going to be bringing a human into the world. Yeah. That is a. That's some new. I mean, I know it from a man's point of view. You know, and I've got friends now who are kind of at the age where, you know, oh, in two years when when I've done this, you know, when when we've got that in place and we've done a bit of travelling and we're going to yeah, get, yeah. and you do, tick all There's those never boxes, a good time. You, it won't. You will still not be ready no. to be like whoa. And even if you prepare yourself and you go, I'm ready. We're going to try for babies. Yeah. When she says we're pregnant, you just whoa. You're just into the void of like whoa. Yeah, I think that's universal. But you have to take that seriously. I think. Yeah. You know, and sort of face that and sort of let it wash over you. Yeah. You know, and if you are lucky enough to be happy and with somebody that you're, you know, yeah. there's a reciprocal. Yeah, it was, it was love. all, it was all, there wasn't, oh, oh shit, because we didn't want it. It mm-hmm. was just, it yeah. was a change. Just, yeah. 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 But here's the thing, and Hong Kong's <laughs> unusual for that. It's a change, but it's not a change like you would experience here because what happens with most expats is, if you're working, you hire a Filipino helper. Mm-hmm. So actually, your lifestyle remains doesn't really change much at all. If you've got the financial capability to do so, so you kind of have this grown-up thing thrown into your life in a place where you really don't need to grow up because you can outsource your childcare to and a all of that responsibility to all of, resp- yeah. so and on the on the other side of it, you can also just keep working, which is what I did. Right. Um, partly because I was the bigger earner, mm-hmm. because I was older than Cleet, you mm-hmm. know, he was really into what he did, yeah. but, you know, he was just at a different stage. He was just stage. further along the yeah, line. Yeah, he was yeah. at a different stage in his career to me. So it's not as scary as it probably would be or, or as difficult practically as it would be here. And did you birth there? In Hong yeah, Kong. yeah. And how yeah. was that? Oh, it's like being in a five-star hotel. Right. I mean, yeah. there was, it was. She, Lucy, was late. Um, so were you induced or? Did I was you, induced. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how was the birth? Uh, it was fine. Yeah. It was well. I, actually, I say it, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't. I had an epidural. Right. So, um, so I didn't really feel much I, I was scared um and when we got up there we I remember getting up to the um hospital and somebody just giving birth in the car park because they couldn't get there <laughs> quick enough I was like oh my god yeah, you know yeah. and I, I I'd never been particularly motherly I'd never been oh I really have to have children maternal sense no no um birth was fine uh she was slightly twisted but yeah it was good the do you remember the feeling when she was in your arms first time? Yeah, I do. I was terrified. Mm. I was absolutely... I remember... Because you put together this birthing plan about what you... You know, and I, I was very like, oh, you know, you just clean her off and everything, which sounds awful now. Mm. Um, well, again, culture paints a picture to us and sort of gives us a yeah I'm, a clean-cut version of everything. I mean, knowing what we know now, I mean, that's something that I've come to learn, you know, microbiome. Yeah. So... 
vaginal microbiome on a baby to set up is all the precursors for immune... Uh, I mean, it is so important. Yeah. But we are in hospitals. And I know. The clock ticks and we want it to... We don't, we, and we worry about disease or yeah. all those things. It all makes sense. Yeah. And whichever way you want to look at it, it can make sense. But, yeah. like, we've... M- I mean, my wife's a doula, so yeah. I've been educated you know kind of this. off the shoulder yeah. of like so much, much more of the, the simplistic side of, of it. Um, so, yeah, I'm always intrigued to find out what birthing is like because I've come to really be fascinated, obviously, to the chat, children, yeah. childhood, birth, you know, yeah. like the whole journey starts there. Yeah. So you're, you, you've got Lucy in your arms. This yeah, well, she little... was put onto my chest. Okay. Because it was quite, she, she was a bit twisted, so it took longer than, mm-hmm. uh, it, well, what is the average, but it took mm. a while. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of, and I, I remember looking at her going, oh, gosh. And it was just such a, mm-hmm. I, I didn't quite know what to do. Did you even feel like... You would. It was possible that like she was. She's you. And this no, is, I just. It, it, my first son was handed to me. It was like I, I couldn't comprehend <laughs> that he's. This is. But what did you feel? Was, well, I had an image of him. I think aesthetically, through me as much as anything, I'd I'd got really quite well prepared to actually, you know, as we mentioned, the initial kind of whoa, uh, and then I sort of got, got serious about it. And yeah. Thought, right, okay. Yeah. I'm going to get into this. But then when I had an image of him in my mind, and I've got quite a strong image actualization that you know that's pretty consistent for me and i thought he was going to be like a little bald pale blonde thin fair little baby because that's what i was and i i'm you know and he came out and he was enormous (laughs) with dark skin and black hair oh brilliant and he looked just didn't look like it was possible to come from me you know wow which I imagine for some people must be a really alarming yeah. <laughs> moment if, yeah, you know, yeah, if you're yeah, not yeah. in a, you know, in the most trusting relationship. Yeah. But I remember looking at him and it just so happened that uh, the midwives were taking my wife to, to I think it went to shower or something. They just took her somewhere and they're like, they had me remove my shirt and everything, skin on skin, and sort of left me with him. And the, and the whole room was kind of empty and it was just me and him. And he was massive. I mean, he was, wow. he was actually the smallest of our babies. He was eight pounds 13. But he was, he was the smallest. So wow. fat. I mean, he looked like a little Michelin man with this black hair, dark skin. And I can remember looking at him and then looking out the window of the hospital and it was Lincoln and I wasn't born here but I've grown up here and thinking he's been born and it, and it just it didn't just didn't seem real just wow. psychedelically yeah. unreal like and I think a lot of that was aesthetic because if I think you had he have been like a, what I'd imagined yeah like a th- fair kind yeah. of whatever my mind's eye image of him was but yeah. it did, totally threw me but um, I actually I actually made a video of that birth. There's a video on oh. YouTube of that. that um, yeah, of him being sort of black. It's only like a three-minute yeah. video, but I did it to That's kind of amazing. a song at the time. So I'll show him that one day when he's older. But um, no, I think the impact's... Yeah. I, it's, how, it's, did, how does everyone cope with that? I mean, it's, And people do it in different ways, mm, don't they? Mm, yeah. Totally. So how's Cleet then? How was Cleet when... Cleet was just... You could see he was just kind of like, whoa. Mm. You know, just sort of didn't... Yeah. Both of us were kind of like, well, here she, here she is, and we didn't know whether she was going to be a girl or a boy. Okay, so you didn't so, find out. No, I didn't find out. So, um, so yeah, it was. He was quite emotional about it all, of course. Mm-hmm. 
But it, what were those first few months like then as you start to adapt? Two high-flying city slickers all of um, a sudden? I remember being in the hospital. My mum flew over, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a big argument about something. I can't remember what it was. And uh, and I was pushing Lucy in the in the trolley thing. And I, I remember just looking at it going, I, I really don't know how this is going to work. I was such a... And I, I didn't bond with her straight away. Subsequently did. But I just didn't... Um, couldn't compute. But we got home. Um, and by that time, we we had a full-time helper, Delhi, who um, stayed with us right until we left Hong Kong. So for 12 years. She was brilliant. Lovely. So she she was there. And I was already getting confused in hindsight, about what my role right, okay. was. Because yeah. she knew everything. And so she kind of took on, I guess, what the grandmother role would be because my mum flew in, flew out. Um, and I was off, I took, you only get 10 weeks maternity leave in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. So, and then you go straight back to work. You can take longer, but you don't get paid. So I only had 10 weeks with her. In hindsight, I should have done it for longer. Um, but you would just, but and I, and I always, I would do the night feeds because I felt like I should. And Delhi mm-hmm. was also helping in the house during the day, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I wasn't, so mm-hmm. I just didn't want her to be up all night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it's quite a strange dynamic because you don't. If I'd wanted to, I could have come out of that hospital, left Lucy with Delhi, and gone back to work because. Mm-hmm. That's the culture of the place. Yeah. And, you know, te- arguably 10 weeks, that is what I did. Um, so it's... And she was perfectly well looked after. And But the first month, because of because of how I was, I was, like, doing graphs of how much she was drinking and Excel spreadsheets. Of course, because I, yeah. Because I couldn't... It was such an alien thing to me to have been working so hard and very analytical and very just always on. Mm-hmm. To looking after, and do you think when you, as we spoke at the beginning of this this conversation, with your your memories of you being young, yeah, do you think, as you mentioned, if one of these things happens where we we associate some kind of a trauma to something bad that happens to us, do you think it can work in the same way that, obviously, when you're a baby, you're not going to know if you're being um, nurtured or cared for mm. by who or what. Mm. It, I don't, is there any subconscious thing playing any kind of a role there, do you think, in any way? With me? Yeah, like thinking like how... How do I explain it? Like, your mum... Do you remember... What do you remember of your mum when you were really little like that? Nothing. Nothing. Hmm. I, I was, it always used to bother me because I couldn't remember... I, I remember a bit, but... Flashes. Flashes, yeah, mm. yeah. I remember bits, and I've seen photos, but I don't, I don't remember a huge amount. So when you're doing like your, I think, it, I think it passes down. I think the energy of it passes down. I think well, I, there I guess was a that's slight, what I'm a slight bit of trying to yeah, no, work out. Is there's a, a, there was a slight detachment? It was almost like I, don't, you know, because I, intrinsically you maybe haven't had that put in you. Yeah, yeah, and interestingly, my. And your your uh, Alex, your wife might know a bit about this. My mum wasn't breastfed 
she mm. didn't breastfeed me and mm. I didn't breastfeed her. Right. And I think that was a, not mm. a good thing because mm. you then get the... And I had a real phobia about it. And I think that had come down the... There's so many... Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. something I come to learn because, yeah, I, I wasn't breastfed. But then I subsequently found out later that my the lineage was breastfed in my... But I was like the first to yeah. not be. And I didn't know anything about it, as most people don't, until, obviously, as I mentioned a minute ago, you know, start learning when I was yeah. having my own children. Because I've got a little bit of pragmatism like yourself. Like, when I was going to be a parent, it was like, right, shit, right. And I had the blessings of the internet, so it's came yeah. like, start, yeah. you know, and measuring one thing. Okay, so that, you naturally go to all the things yeah. that you know that happen for you. Yeah. And then I'm sort of looking at the... And I'm going, oh. It's, it's funny, you just made me realise, I think I had quite a male reaction to her. Yeah, I, possibly I, did. Yeah, yeah. I, and that more, would make a lot of sense. I had a much it? more male reaction to her than a, a motherly mm. reaction. Mm. I, again, it's changed now beyond, but it it was all like practically, how am I going to look after this mm. baby? You know, mm. am I going to have enough money? And I took all the responsibility myself, and I didn't need to. Mm. Pete wasn't asking me to do that, but that's what I did. Mm. Right? He, Naturally. Yeah, I just it's just how I was. Mm. Um, but I went back to work after 10 weeks, got back into work, then started getting all the mother guilt right. about not being there, right. even though she was well looked after, mm-hmm. which then sort of translated all the way through to to, to what happened. So, um, but it was a good time. I mean, mm-hmm. she was, on, again, on the surface, we, we had a beautiful daughter and we could still keep going out and... Everything like that. It's mm. uh, mm. yeah, it's interesting. And Delhi, Delhi, our helper was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go through those early stages of parenting. You're adapting. <clears throat> you're doing spreadsheets and bits and bobs and trying <laughs> yes. to. Yes, embarrassing. Well, no, no, because that's your. That, that was my that, programming. Yeah, your yeah. It your, was how I could understand how yeah. she was working you know mm. and I did the um, how long did that go on for how long did you were you kind of well I got I got very obsessed with the the Gina Ford way of right. of yeah. Um, yeah. parenting so you know you just it's, it's quite a structured way of raising kids because it fitted in with the lifestyle I wouldn't do it again if I had another kid but mm. um, not that that's going to happen but um, <laughs> but um yeah, I just I became very pragmatic about it all. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because mm. your environment is pragmatic. Is that your emotional attachments are kind of a bit more distant? Yeah, it feels like it was almost like I was suppressing all my femininity mm. and mater- the the, mm. the maternal mm. things for whatever reason, which goes back to childhood experience, and I've since learned before that as well. So, you don't even know you're doing it. No, it's just how no, I thought no. I should be. But in the back of my mind, I wasn't comfortable with it, if that makes any sense. There was something underneath going, hmm. Well, we're getting there now, yeah. aren't we? We're starting to... And without, you know, I think that's one of the most difficult things about breakthroughs, epiphanies or, you know, and I think it's something that we all do. We're all suppressing certain niggling truths yeah. and, and dialogues inside yep. ourselves because we know if we let that lid off you've got so much to contend with 
It throws it just throws everything, everything you know yeah. upside down, and mm. and, and it's, the status quo often can win that race. Of like, mm. well, you know, I, I you, you kind of know that in the back of your head, so I'll make these kind of small tweaks. But so you leave Hong Kong, why, when, what? Leave Hong Kong. So fast forward to twenty eighteen. So Lucy would have been ten, eleven then. Um, we left because of what happened in 2016. Okay, then. So take us in the lead up to that then. So yeah. I think I think we're close. Lucy working, life's, yeah. life's moving along. So Lucy born, life's moving along. I'm working for Jones Lang LaSalle at the time. Um, then I get headhunted by HSBC. So thrown into, a, again, another environment, a whole other kind of company, big corporate, mm. much more multinational company. Um, getting paid more progressively each time. Um, and Cleet and I are sort of benefiting from that and from his job as well, sort of materially. We are, we bought a house in Hong Kong and everything. And uh, and I was doing things like, I went into Panerai, you know, Panerai watches, the sort Ooh. of flash watches, yeah. you know. Two yeah. months after I had Lucy and thought, oh, I'll just buy Cleet a watch. It was that ridiculous, you know. Wow, yeah. it was It was kind of, yeah. it's that weird dynamic so that all progresses fast forward to 20 2008 which is when i started working for hsbc right after i just got in before the financial crisis mm -hmm. happened so mm -hmm. slipped under the door before all the banks obviously started going through a lot of crap um but i was on the property side rather than the banking side um worked for a great guy there and i remember someone the company I left had been doing consultancy work for them. And I remember someone saying to me, in five years, you'll be running that division. And and for the world I was in, that job was one of the best jobs in the world wow. for, 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 for mm -hmm. my area, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I was young at the time. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But bugger me, five years later, mm -hmm. I got is. promoted. I got promoted very quickly. Um and was running running that um, had a new boss come in. I will mention him because he was he was brilliant through everything that subsequently occurred. Um, he just started with HSBC at the time, so again, originally working in Asia, then started flying around the world, um, get getting paid a lot. Fly, you know, but I was. The job, when I got the global job, it was supposed to be in London, but I asked to stay in Hong Kong because Cleet's job was there. Um, Lucy had been born there. Life generally was better there. I get paid more than being back in London. My commute was 20 minutes instead of what it would have been in London. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. everything. I just didn't yeah. want to go back to London. Mm. So they let me do the job from Hong Kong, but most of my team, core team, was in London. So I was working. I worked hard anyway, but I was literally working 24 hours because... Mm. The clocks, yeah. Yeah, because of the global timescales. Um, and enjoying it, but starting to seep into it all was a bit of, how did I get here? So, you know, should I be in that jo doing that job? Because did they put me in the job because I was a woman? Because the whole thing that was, mm. the, you know, the thing that has come up now is, you know, you're trying to get women into jobs Feminines, yeah know, and actually in hind hindsight I got the job because I was bloody good at what I did mm. but in the back of my mind they've even given me that job because I'm female yeah. um, I then 
got offered actually back up before I got the global job I was offered six I was offered to go and work in New York for HSBC and that was a three-year offer I said I don't want to go three years but I knew that if I did it my career would Mm. it would really be beneficial for my career so Mm. I went to New York for six months I left Cleet and Lucy in Hong Kong so moved and did the US job um but again, that it was great, but it was weird because I was living two lives. Mm-hmm. I was like living in Manhattan, single, mm-hmm. you know, inverted commas single. And mm-hmm. then my family was back at the mm-hmm. ranch mm-hmm. just getting on with stuff and left Lucy with Delhi. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how history repeats itself because I left about the t- same time. And I was talking to a lady I work with sort of counselling and she was going back over things with me. She goes... It's repeating itself because you left right. You left Lucy right at the time your mum was away, like just not available to you mm. for six to twelve mm. months. And I did mm. exactly the same thing. And I remember mm. sitting, I remember getting there, landing, going, "I should be doing this for my career. It's great." And I went down to the banks of the Hudson, and I sat looking over the Hudson. I just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What am I doing?" Mm. Right? Mm. I stuck at it, mm. you know. And um, I'd see them every six weeks. Again, great. Lucy and him came over to New York. Uh, on the face of it, what you couldn't want for better, right? You know, yep. did everything. Um, they moved house while I was away, so I went back to a house that I hadn't lived in. Mm. You know, and God, yeah. yeah. So it was, and I, I remember we went to a wedding in Mexico through all of this, and we left Lucy. We'd flown over. I'd flown from New York. Lucy and Cleet had flown to Texas. Cleet had dropped Lucy off with his grand, her grandparents yeah, in Texas, yeah. flown to Mexico. I'd flown to Mexico. And I remember just looking at it and feeling really discombobulated. I'm like, what am I and where am I? Because we're all, my family were all flying all over the place. My daughter was mm. happy, but in yeah. one bit. I'd just flown in from here and I just, it was just... Starting to... It was starting yeah. to really like, I don't feel very grounded. Mm. Um, but again, on the face of it all gilded life mm. you know the one percent mm. it was mm. it was funny so that then all everything started so there were so many different things happening that my circadian rhythms were off because I was flying all over the world um I was not eating well I'd be drinking I'd be talking to people good friends of mine and sort of thinking oh should I have this job I remember hearing somebody say you know Jane got that job but why did she you know you just heard I heard something in the office something dodgy happened to me in New York with a a a guy a colleague you know just we're out again it's the whole me too thing Mm -hmm. I was out drinking in the corporate culture but he started getting really a bit too close a bit too close um and you know, I nothing, nothing happened, mm-hmm. but he sort of tried to pull me out of a lift and all this kind of stuff, and Whoa. people had to yeah. get involved. But I just... And that really upset me, which was unusual for me. So all these little things started to go, yeah. Eh, yeah. you know, not started quite right. Connect on, yeah. yeah. Got back to Hong Kong, um, carried on with the job, but then I found out I had a... Um, I wasn't well, sort of... I had a I found out I had a ovarian cyst and things or fibroid. Um, I also found out I had HPV, which right. is um, uh, lots of women get it, lots of men get it. It's a sort of STD from could it could have been from years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And obviously he had a freak out about that, but the doctor's saying, look, everyone gets it. Don't mm. don't feel bad about it. Could have You could have got it from mm-hmm. when you were like 18. It just mm-hmm. sort of showed itself now. But the doctor said to me, oh, you can have a vaccination for that. And I'm not in... And I went, okay. So I went to have this vaccination. How did you feel about that going I d- in? Did I d- you second oh, thought or just, yeah, this is what Oh, God, doing. yeah. This is, this is where the weird starts. So I was freaking out because completely catastrophizing, which again, in, in hindsight, I should have realized my brain wasn't functioning rationally because as soon as I found out about my uh, fibroid and this stuff, I'm like, I'm going to die. Right. And then what will Lucy do and what will Cleet do? And mm. taking all the responsibility on myself, like, you know, and they would have worked it out, but I was, it wouldn't have been nice, you know, and I wasn't going to die, but you know, it just, it just, everything just started going mad in my head. So, they asked me, I said, oh, you can have a vaccination. And my smart brain went, vaccinations prevent, they don't cure. But I ignored my smart brain and I went in and I looked at this woman, this Chinese-American doctor, and I said, what's in this? And I never asked that, mm. you know. And I, she told me, she goes, oh, look, just have it. You know, it'll get rid of your infection. So I left. I said, I don't want it. And I left. And I got into the, I got back into the office. And I remember hearing my grandmother go, in my head, who's dead, go, you're strong, Jane. Don't be so stupid. Go and have it. Literally like that. I was like, okay. So I went back. And I felt guilty because they'd opened it, right? Mm-hmm. I was feeling guilty because they'd opened it and it would cost them money. Oh, God. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. That's the young Jane. Yeah. It's all that they, they'd... So completely irrational had it, had this vaccination, and a nurse gave it to me. And I remember, it's so vivid, she put it in my arm, and I felt this pain shoot down my arm. And I just got an overwhelming sense that I was dead. I mean, I, didn't, I can't even explain it. It's like, I have just killed myself. You, you, you've just killed yourself with a vaccine. Yeah, that's what I felt like. <laughs> Hang on. Did, did they tell you what was in it? They... They didn't tell me what was in it. They just said, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, people take this all the time. I certainly found out a lot about the vaccine that that wasn't quite true. And they shouldn't really be giving it to sort of 48-year-olds. Um, but anyway, that's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the US, I probably would have had the ability to sue. But really? um, yeah, I mean, they they sort of hand out drugs willy-nilly in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um so I had this whole feeling I just killed myself. Um, of course, and I went back to the office and sort of my PA looked at me and said, what's happened to you? I said, oh, nothing, nothing. And of course, then I started looking up about the vaccine. How did you actually physically feel then? Did you have an adverse reaction no, not at straight, all? No, not straight away. Not straight away. Mm. I, just, I just felt... It was such a weird, weird... It, it was almost like I went into shock because that's... That's what I felt like. I started having this sort of, not physical panic, but mental panic about it. So I went back to the office and I started, and I'd done a bit of research before on the vaccine, but not a lot. Um, I started looking up about this vaccine and, of course, found out 101 horror stories about it. But it's actually, they give it to, it's for 9 to 14-year-olds mainly, so your kids will get it. Right. Unless you ask the... Well, yeah, we don't do any yeah. vaccines. Yeah, right, so, yeah, exactly. Mm. So, 
it's it's to stop the transmission of HPV, which causes cervical cancer, which is ironic in itself because it, cervical cancer doesn't kill that many people. You know, it's it's a um, but there's a lot of horror stories about that vaccine and other vaccines, obviously, but that one in particular about what it can do to you. And um, I just went into panic about it. Now I don't know whether it was the vaccine itself or me reading about what the vaccine could do to you. What triggered you to read it? Just the feeling. You're having this feeling though, aren't you? You're I was having, having this feeling, feeling that I just killed myself. So mm. it was it was almost instant. My body was sort of saying, get that shit out of you. Right? Because it, mm. it was almost like that. But I, it would contrast that with this voice in my head from my granny. Saying to do it. Saying to do it. And this is this is granny who you've got fond memories yeah. of who looked after you. Yeah, it was her. I remember I was walking past bloody Longchamp. I don't know how I remember the shop, but I do. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's strange, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So... It was such a contradictory, like, light mm. and dark, black and white reaction. Mm. Um, so I started researching it, but research would be a sort of calm term for it. I was just obsessed with, like, what has this done to me and how do I get it out of me? Because you're supposed to have three right. for it uh, over the course of three months, I think. So I didn't go back to the others, obviously. Um, so then I just went straight into... Whatever this is in me, I need to get it out because there's all these stories of teenagers just completely changing their personalities, you know, getting their legs going weak, a few of them dying, you know, so many stories about it. Um, so I went straight into, I need to detox this out of my body. It was like a almost visceral reaction. So how do I do that? Um you know, stop drinking, stop, start eating better, get some uh, detox stuff to pull heavy metals because aluminium in it. Um, but that was that was happening. But over that weekend, it was a long weekend um, and we had some people over for lunch on the bank holiday. I just started feeling really strange after I'd had this vaccine. I hadn't, the, the other weird thing, it was Cleet's 40th birthday that I'd done it on really? and I hadn't told him. Right. of having it right. which was really unusual as well he mm. sort of said to me why don't you tell me you're having this so but I remember on the Monday we're, and I just couldn't I was almost detaching from myself I remember sitting looking around the table going I really don't feel like I'm here it, it, it was I felt so weird mm. um, and then that night I started getting pains in my legs um, the more that morning on the Tuesday morning I got up and I went to the loo and there was all this it was just awful mm. and I thought I am dying oh everything God. just my whole system just went bleh right um, I started getting pains down my face I started sort of that sounds horrible tinnitus dude. everything it was just my system it felt like somebody had put a sort of electric plug into my system and gone yeah. and everything just went just, wrong just fuck your wiring up yeah so I went back to the doctors I said look I don't know what's happened but I'm getting all this numbness and I can't feel anything which does happen with vaccines sometimes had all the tests the the doctor who gave me the vaccine clearly looked disturbed because I think she'd been told she shouldn't have given it to me and oh dear the she whole was, yeah the, she, you can see way. her going yeah. oh shit you know why did I prescribe this um but it was done, really. So I just, I went into overdrive and I started losing weight. I started, uh, I couldn't keep any food in, but I had every test in the world to see what was happening. And 
they said you've got um one of them was uh what's the thing that I can't there's a syndrome that lots of lots of people does happen after you get vaccinated where you go numb for a while. And they said oh, it'll wear off. Anyway, I I just I, even now thinking about it, it was just so bizarre. I would I would kind of feel heavy then light and then I I couldn't stop uh, start when I went back to work the next week I'd, I couldn't stop talking at all and then I couldn't look at things and then certain people would come in to see me and I'd be fine the next person would come in to see me and I'd just completely I just I had verbal diarrhea with them your, and your wiring's just my, my wiring just shot was mm. shot to pieces and I was getting sparks up my spine. I was... Um, and what kind of period is this? Is this in a couple of weeks? How? It started about three days after the vaccine. Right. Um, and I became obsessed with, I am... I Literally, I'll admit it, I became, I'm done. What can I do about this? I cut out everything out end. of my diet. Yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought, shit, what have I done? Mm. Um, so I was overreacting to everything. And I couldn't, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't... I started not being able to... Whenever I touched computers it would give me electric shocks um i'd walk along the road and suddenly i feel like i was sinking down into the road but i wasn't um I, <laughs> it's so it was so alien and i'd i'd i kept thinking oh i'd look at Clayton and lucy and think, i'm gonna die and it was my birthday the following week and we went to singapore for and i just i couldn't function my legs just kept giving way underneath me but i could still walk if that made any sense. I've, yeah, I've tried ketamine before and it's very Is similar. It that, that was it. They gave me ketamine. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Um, yeah, I mean, th those sensations you talk of, uh, I've experienced them, but not, not in this way. I mean, the terror you've got psychologically at the moment from having a vaccine, you, your body, your mind's told you this at the time. You've had it. You've said to yourself, I'm going to die. You know? Yeah. You've then started to research. You've then had that influx of information and the, you get behind the curtain of... Yeah, because on the face of it, we're having the injection, we're having the tablet, we're having the thing, the antibiotic, yeah. and it's, this is what's good for you. And we don't ever think anymore no. about it. That's Western medicine. No, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier when you're selling these things, you know, yeah, like it's just this There's is what it the says. This is what of it, it does, right? you know? know. And so now the terror you're having, your body's not responding. Never ha mind, not responding. It's malfunctioning. Yeah, it was. Com it was completely blown. Physically. Yeah, and I again, I will never know whether it was the vaccine or or it was a that was just the icing on the cake that triggered it. But mm -hmm. whatever happened, it sent my body and brain into overdrive, mm. um, like shock or. I don't know, but how long does this go on for then? And how did you, what what things did you start to do in terms of your diet or exercise or trying to detox, juicing? Did you start to notice? I started improvement. No, this honestly, the to different leveling. This went on for eighteen months. Fuck. It, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. And there's bits of it physically now. My my body's now catching up with my my brain's all right now. Um, but I would argue my brain was never not all right. Mm. But that's another. We'll get on to that. Mm -hmm. But it was. It, it went on for a long time, which is subsequently what made us leave Hong Kong because I I was obsessing about the water I drank. I was obsessing. I, I just, it was it was everything that I considered to be dirty 
I was like, I can't have any of this. I wanted clean food. I wanted everything because I was thinking, I just was thinking, I've put all this shit in my body. So mm. I, I, and it was, that in itself wasn't healthy actually. Mm. Because. Course, yeah. Then you're cutting out loads of microbiome yeah. that's vital. To... And psychologically, it was telling me, I was telling my body that something was wrong yeah. as well. So but I didn't know messages, that at the time. Yeah. But the message I was sending mm. is like, so you're always in, you're just from I was already fear probably had ha, pro, I probably already had something I put something in my body that wasn't really good for me mm -hmm. right but it probably wasn't as bad for me as I'd made it manifested it manifested it to be and and I think I probably gave my body a bit, a bit of a shock by stopping drinking and stopping you know I literally went from one way of living to mm. another but mm. and are you edu are you sort of educating yourself in this are you looking into is it specifically like health diets? Are you looking into I was, into, yeah. yeah so but I was looking into it in a very unhealthy way. Mm. I was just like, I've mm. got to, I've got to sort this out. And in the meantime, I was trying to sort of keep going at work, but I, I couldn't. I was sleeping an hour a night. Whoa. Um, but, but during the day, I was fizzing. I, I just, I, it was so much overdrive. And the fortunate You're thing is. You're becoming delirious, aren't you? Well, to yeah. Degree. It was, I, I don't know. Anyway, it kept it it kept going, and then I started having sort of dreams about things. I was literally sitting in, I'd sit in my house and look over at a flat, and I could think what was in there, and it was, it it just wasn't right what was going on. Then I started, um, when I started to really worry about it, I was worried about it anyway, but I was starting to, I started wanting to push people over, and I started wanting to. Um, you know, I'd, I'd want to th throw myself off buildings, but I knew I wouldn't, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that compulsion kind yeah, of Yeah, but I'd always had that. You know, if I, I, if I get yeah. to the edge of things, I was like, oh, I can't go too close because I want to jump. It's strange, isn't it? I yeah. think, again, I think that's quite a ubiquitous yeah. feeling. I, I mean, I drive across train tracks now and I always wonder... What? Well, I, not that not, I wonder what it would be like, because I can imagine what it would be like, but I always imagine just bang... Yeah. Just imagine if I drive over this train track and someone's missed something and just yeah. wipe out. Yeah. Similarly to that yeah. kind of thing where you stood on top of something and you think, oh, I could jump off it. Yeah. I could jump it's, off it. It's a, Isn't that strange? I know. And where it comes from could, could be anything. So you're feeling that permeate down into your life to the point where you're like, oh, I'm going to push you Oh, yeah. You and then, over. then I started wanting to, um, you know, push. I was looking at Cleek going, I really. Could mm. I could imagine pushing him over? Mm -hmm. um, then I was looking at the doglies and thought, what if I walk down to the construction site down there and just hang myself? You know, but and oh. I kept resisting. I, that was a weird thing. When it started to move to that, I was like, and but all the way through it, there was something inside of me, something there going, watching all of this, right? Just looking at it, going, yeah, you're going to be all right. But I was watching all of it. But that's what kept me going because. I was literally just, you know, I'm, that's what started to me, me to worry because they say when people start thinking about like that's when you need to. And I was looking at my computer, going, "Oh, shall I look up things to? How, how do I?" Mm. That's kind mm. of. But, mm. I knew, but I really knew I wouldn't. It, it, but I felt like I would at the time. So that was all happening, and I eventually told Clee. I said, "Look," and he knew there was something not right because he, he he said. He said, "You just don't you look, look like different. you." Yeah, and even yeah. Lucy said to me, "Goes she went, she went. This was heartbreaking." She goes, "Where are you?" How old is Lucy? Ten. She yeah. goes, she goes. What's happened to Mummy? Because I just looked 
complete, like I'd gone. Yeah, your eyes are... Up, yeah, I, everything, yeah, mm. everyone who... But then I could flip and be all right for a bit. But physically, I was in a shocking state. I'd lost... I went down to about 47 kilos, so... Jesus. Wasn't, wasn't much, really. Um, sensitive to everything. And so, went through a load of tests to find out if there's vaccine done any damage to me. But if you dig if you dig deep enough on anything, you'll find something. So mm. all the sort of traditional doctors, but they my heart was racing all the time and everything was but they couldn't find all my vitals, all my bloods, nothing. Nothing wrong at all. But I was losing weight and they just couldn't figure out. So then inevitably they said, Oh, it's stress and anxiety, which I'm like, no shit, right? Because clearly my body was and so classic Hong Kong fashion you need to have some pills. And I, I was, wasn't was sleeping, so I thought, oh, I, I just don't do pills like that. And even when they gave them to me, I said, and there was mild antidepressants. I'm like, I'm not depressed, but I was rageful. I was just had so much rage in me for mm-hmm. some reason. Mm-hmm. And um, my heart wasn't in taking these pills. So in that respect, they were never going to work anyway. But I just knew they weren't the answer. Mm-hmm. And they work, don't get me wrong, they work for... A lots of people but yeah. it just yeah you mentioned it earlier you yeah know, there's 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 a prevention there's, a there's not a cure yeah and, the, and there's the right time and, and and all those things and yeah so so saw a lot of i saw a doctor who prescribed this and then once i started having this sort of i want to jump off buildings and push people off buildings and sort of thing i thought mm, you know things aren't going well and then one night i was at home and i, I wasn't sleeping and i literally i lay down and i felt like I was going to go down a... I fell asleep, I think. And I felt like I was going down a massive rabbit hole. Like, literally... I don't want to make any light of this, but <laughs> literally sounds like... Have you ever heard the phrase, the K-hole? No. Never the K-hole, is which it, is ketamine... Maybe ketamine. they gave me ketamine instead of a vaccination. Well, I won't digress too far, but our sponsors for the podcast, Go Deep Flotation Therapy, the, the, the whole idea of flotation, which I'm going to talk to you about, yeah, yeah. actually, because I think this would be really helpful yeah, if yeah. you haven't done it already. Um, but the guy, John Lilly, who was the uh, the inventor of the idea, and I, set, I guess the mechanics of floating as well, he, I think it was the 50s, late 50s maybe, he was a bit of a an eccentric scientist. And they, they set up flotation therapy. Essentially, I think it started quite cumbersomely as like a helmet, and it was the idea to cut the senses off from the yeah. body. So sight, sound, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, to measure the brain and see how it reacts. Mm-hmm. And what they learned was that these amazing things are happening, like frequency, energy, mm-hmm. meditative brain state, you know, hitting delta and theta brain states, mm-hmm. and, you know, like 30-year practicing monks hit these kinds of yeah. waves, and you're, you're achieving this in a tank. And he started to take um, ketamine. I mean, he, he, he lost his way a little bit, but uh, some of his work, I mean, he was he dissected, like, dolphin language. I mean, he's, like, at the, oh, really? at the helm of communicating with dolphins. I mean... Really, really, because it far opened out. up something else. Yeah, yeah, some some weird things open up now. Back to sort of today, a recreational drug use. Ketamine's kind of known. You've explained some things that are very, very similar, similar. to to what happens when you go down a K hole. Like yeah, right. You know, like the, 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 yeah, very, very strange. But it's ironic because I bring that up because floating, which we'll talk about more as, yeah, you, yeah. as you finish up. Yeah. I think something's going to be really, really useful. Yeah. For you. Okay. You know, it's so good for the tuning of the body. Just, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. So this is what then prompted a whole other series of events to happen. So I went, I was at home trying not to wake Cleet up. I was downstairs, couldn't sit still, like, and then crashed out, but then went down the K-hole, rabbit hole <laughs> thing, but, and came back and literally felt, again, I felt like I'd had near-death experience. I thought mm. like I'd almost died mm. and come back again. So what made me do this, I don't know, but I called my boss in London, who was the global COO of HSBC, so on the board. <laughs> and he knew nothing really about what was going on because I could still pick up the phone and sound all right. And I said, I really need some help. Now, it was a bit telling that I called him and not my dad or or my, or Clee, or because I was mm-hmm. trying to, it was almost like I was trying to keep my work life going so I could keep everything else. It feels like to me that that's the, it is like I'm wo- connecting like that's the work had become my yeah. sanctuary yeah. right in a, well, going back to when you were a child and you I will, I'm on my own I'm going to sort this out myself yeah. and I'm, I can do this and yeah. I will do this almost like that you've then created this you're the breadwinner because you're further down the line career wise yeah. and that's your you're holding it together by yeah. doing that and for all self created no one's asking me to do this I'm just yeah. doing it right it's because it's it's, it's I'm choosing to be like that and I'm um, I call him and I said, look, if I die, <laughs> I remember, if I die, and he's like, Jane, what? If I die, um, can you make sure, you know, we can sort out my bank accounts so Cleet can get access to them? And Because we had separate bank accounts because of the tax, you know, reasons, legitimate tax reasons and all this. But um, he he then called HR and said, look, I think Jane needs some help. And I eventually ended up, by my choice, um, I said, this isn't working. I just felt, I felt like I needed to go somewhere that I'd just be cared for, like just put in a pod and shut off and I, I didn't know what else to do. Um, so I said, look, I think I need to go to the Priory or something because they'd given me some drugs. I'd taken them and they sent me WAPO. They sent me to the point where, whereas before I was going a bit mad or so I thought, but I knew I was all right. These were just, I took like tw- two nights. I said, this is not the answer. Mm. So I just mm. stopped that. Good on you. Um, but I said, so I, I voluntarily checked myself into the Priory in London and work were brilliant. They said, yeah, okay, that's the answer. I had to fly over from Hong Kong to there with a nurse and they had to sedate me on the plane, right? Because, Jesus Christ, Jim. yeah, I know. I remember my brother saying to me, hearing about it, going, what the fuck is yeah. going on? So, and the nurse, they put me, <laughs> put me in a wheelchair to get me through the thing. And in the meantime, you know, they come and pick me up from the house. Lucy's going, what's going on? I'm pretending I'm going to work mm. to her, so not mm. to stress her out for a two-week trip. And um, they wheel me through the airport, and the nurse says to me, she goes, we're going to give you some sedative, right, to help you sleep on the plane. I'm like, fine, because I was so mm-hmm. wound. Mm-hmm. But talking to her like I'm talking to you, which was the bizarre thing, it wasn't like I was off with the fairies. I just wanted to interject there. How were you... When Lucy was in your presence, were you able to kind of were you? I was. I could. Aware I could function. Of... Yeah, but she knew I wasn't right. Mm. But I. I was never going losing it or anything mm. like that. You kind but of managed to. I was. Sort of but recognize... I was. I was wound so tight. I was trying to hold it together. I think. Yeah. Um. So anyway, you're, t- you're talking to the lady just like like we like, are now. Like we are you're now. Kind of back on and she she's looking field. at me. And we're having. A, she goes, "Why are you going?" She was literally saying to me, "Why mm. are you going?" It's new to her, and you seem fine. Yeah, and she she goes, "I'll give you some sedative." She goes, "By the time you're in the lounge, you'll probably be asleep, right?" She gave me a sedative. We got two hours into the lounge. She goes, 
and I was still having this conversation with her. She was like, <laughs> and so I said, when we got on the plane, I'll give you another one. She gave me another one. Did nothing. Oh she God. goes, it could have tranquilized the horse. But mm. anyway, I get to the Priory. Biggest mistake of the whole process. It was just... What, going there? Yeah, shocking. And what, is it? Shocking. Really? Yeah. It was, again, I think if you... What, the wrong environment, the wrong treatment, yeah, the wrong it people? Yeah, the... it was, it was um, the one in um, South London, which... Mm. Uh, where is it? Richmond. No, not near Richmond. Is it, is it Richmond? Roehampton. Down there. Um where, where all the celebs go. Yeah, I was going to say Pete Docherty yeah. and Amy and all those um, guys were there, weren't they? But they, they go for addictions. This was I was there because I was on suicide watch, if I'm brutally honest. Mm. Got there. They couldn't... Uh, they shoved me in a room. I was in this room without anyone talking to me for about... I mean, it was probably the worst experience. When I look at mental health care now, and it's made me quite interested in it, mm -hmm. it just... It couldn't have been worse mm. actually the guys were doing what they could but they just didn't know how to and I was sh they put they sh they put me with a bunch of people and I'm sitting there going what am I doing with all these people right and eventually the day after I got there and I did go in at short notice the psychiatrist came and sort of interviewed me and he said why do you think you're here and I said I really don't know because he didn't and anyway he wanted to prescribe a load of pills to me and because I was there I, w I would hide them under my tongue <laughs> And they, they, and I'd pretend to swallow them. It was literally like it was like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Because I'm like, I'm not having these. And selling them on the wing. Yeah, and <laughs> the other. Inmates. Yeah, I just. I mean, the, but some of the poor guys were there. There's I mean, a pattern, there's, though, isn't there? With sort of here's a patch, pills of some. Pills yeah, and, some pills. and there was a few people in there that I got to know. I was only there a week, thankfully, but um, because I had the wherewithal to get myself out of it, but. They were on like 15 different pills. I'm like, how can that work? Because mm. they're all contradicting each other. And the, there were some people who really needed the help. But I um, was there for a week and it was just, they'd just been bought by a Canadian hedge fund and they were obviously trying to save costs. It was just, mm. It, mm. it was, a re for me, it was a really not the experience I needed. Well, it feels, you know, I don't want to judge anything and I'm certainly not going to, you know, it's a broad stroke, but it just feels like that commodification of everything. Of care, yeah. of, of the most... Yeah, and they had these groups. So they had the people who were anorexic in one group. They had the alcohol people that you weren't allowed to sit with who would come in for day treatment on another bit. And they actually were probably treated really well because that's what they specialise in. They had my group, who was a mix of... There was one lady there who had postnatal. You know, they just put her in there. There was another girl who was so far gone that... You could just mm. not see her coming back from anything. Mm. Um, mm. Drugged up to... Well, there was a guy who was just there with anxiety. But I could see it all. And even the psychiatrist said to me, he goes, why, why are you here? Someone else could give me a second. And they could not figure it out. And I said, am I bipolar? Am I schizophrenic? None of those, right? None. They said, no. I said, and, but my system was on fire. Even to the point one, one night I had a panic attack. Mm. I had massive, like literally... Scary. Yeah, I don't. It just came out of nowhere, and I thought that's not gonna. I'm not gonna get out of here. Anyway, I got out, went back to my parents for Christmas. How were uh, they with you, Jane? They, they I mean, have, they, have they been? You know, you've gone off high flying. Are they super proud that you're a high flying? Yeah, they never said financier? it though. Really? No. Oh. But they, they, you know, but, so but then yeah, of crashed. course they're proud. Of course, uh, but they never. But I've talked about this with my brother. That's my parents all over. Mm. You know, you just. So how are they? When you come back, can you feel empathy? Can you feel compassion? Can you feel care? 
they're looking after well, you well in that first stages I, I wasn't back officially there and I was staying with them for a bit because I thought that might help mm. but I just I wanted to kill them as well it was <laughs> such a it was almost like everything that um, <laughs> sorry parents when you're listening to this you're because I a tough time yeah I, I just wanted to and I think partly what that was was all the fear aggression rage stuff that I'd held back when I was a kid or it's a lifetime it just suddenly came out and misappropriated itself you know it wasn't that I really wanted to it was just what I associated all the bad things there were multiple good things of course that Mm -hmm. but but all the bad things that I associated with it came out and I just wanted to Mm. it it was well anyway Mm. went back to anyway I was there at home wasn't getting any better they couldn't figure out what to do I couldn't figure out what to do so I went back to Hong Kong I mean, I could go on forever about, and I just sort of carried on in this weird situation with doctors trying to figure out what was wrong. Eventually started getting leading into the more holistic alternative. Which is a mindset initially, isn't it? Yeah. Because to even a, a, allow that in, you've got to allow your mind, yeah. you, you know, this downloaded, pre-imprinted Western Thing. culture of how we fix ourselves or not. You've yeah. got to leave that in one place. Yeah. And allow this what we think of as woo and yeah just to allow that in is is a big thing it's massive but it's half the job yeah it is just to accept that there is an alternative way of doing things let's explore this and not let's not just shut it out and you kind of opened a door there i did have some help there was a really good gp actually who sort of was into this a bit Mm -hmm. and he he sort of said you know you might want to start exploring this so that the door started to open a bit through different things but I wasn't really wasn't getting any better mm. and Cleet and Lucy were suffering from it and eventually after after the, the journey into the more alternative stuff started there in Hong Kong and I started but it wasn't really it was making me see what could be done but it wasn't really making me any better if that makes any sense mm-hmm. it was almost mm-hmm. like I was being taught things but mm-hmm. I had to stay unwell so I learned more things if that yeah, makes it, no absolutely it was it was like we're going to keep you unwell yeah. until you've learned all of this it's kind of a buddhist yeah. kind of yeah <laughs> and it's just like and it, I kept just getting introduced to new and different modalities to heal um but again I still wasn't getting any better so we eventually agreed to come back to the UK, uh, which was a big thing in itself. So we sold up there. In the meantime, I'd been to a clinic in Switzerland to try and detox myself, which just made me worse. I was having some unusual experiences there. Um, what was that like? Because I know Switzerland, again, on a slight tangent, they've got an interesting approach to like heroin addiction and things like that. Oh, right. Um, I know that they sort of decriminalise and they treat it as a health issue as yeah. opposed to a criminal issue and they seem quite liberated in that way I don't know yeah the, I mean, the, so the clinic I'd, during my research on vaccinations this clinic had come up it's the Paracelsus clinic in a, it's not far from Zurich um, and this guy Dr Rao was doing biological medicine right and that was it's it's not spirituality but it's a it's looking at the body as and its whole. processes mm. as a whole mm. And they'd had a lot of success in helping autistic kids and they treated cancer and everything with different... So I went there at great expense. I was freaking out about the money and everything because I thought I'm going to lose my job. I was still employed by HSBC, actually. My boss had been brilliant. He said, take all the time you need. And um, so I went there 
and was surrounded by a bunch of amazing people and doctors and but their whole process was to test everything in you look at the different nutrients you needed uh some acupuncture so it was halfway between pure spirituality and the allopathic mm-hmm. approach um which was fine but again my body just freaked out it was almost like i was trying to do too much to it and they were putting things in me and i was in my head, like, yeah, I'd had something put in me yeah, that had done me damage. In the, so in the first place. everything was just going, and I was having kinesiology, yeah. and even my body was telling these people, "Don't do anything." And I'd been having loads and loads of dreams about war zones and things, and they all started shifting into. Like, I was seeing things that I'd never even heard. I was seeing Jesus, and I was seeing Buddha, and I wasn't really into any reason why war zones might. Have you got any experience? Not, no, like no. Uh, but again, I think it was metaphorical. I think there was just a war zone going on in my in your life, in, in my life, mind, yeah. in my brain, in my body, consciousness. Um, it was all a lot of it was sim- symbolistic, mm-hmm. sim- symbolic in the end. Mm. Um, but I was, I went from very dark dreams and out of body dreams. I'd literally be looking down on myself and getting thrown out of my body it was it was violent i would be having i was literally and then i and then one night i got this whole thing like this indian guy came up to me grabbing my face going it's your third eye it's your third eye and mm. at this time i had nothing mm. didn't know anything about this mm-hmm. it's like okay i am really going mad so eventually moved back here and i think just the move itself helped a bit because i kind of got away from the Hong Kong thing. Are we not back with your mum again when she moves and gets to Lincolnshire? A little bit, yeah. And but things. And she 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 told she told me that she's we started in a good way. We started having conversations about that. But then I put too much expectation on it. I thought I'm back. Right, I'm going to be better. That's it. It's good, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I would have been better not to have yeah. it. And I was freaking out because I'd moved Lucy. She'd left Delhi, who'd brought her up as well mm. as I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I was worried about my job. Again, I I wasn't getting better because I was worried about everything. Cleet and I weren't getting along. I'd made him move and he wasn't ready to leave Hong Kong. Did this mean um, his job change and everything or did the company come? Well, the of... company were brilliant. And this is the other thing. This is why I ultimately believe this is all meant to happen because his company said, well, they were brilliant. They said, we'll move you to Amsterdam. So they did. And he's now there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're divorced, but, you know, we get on fine. Um, and his job's... He was he was ready for a change, and I I, I, I joke. I'm like, oh god, I had to go through all this to get you a freaking better job. <laughs> it's like, cheers, mate. It's the ultimate she, sacrifice. It's kind of your mum again, isn't it? Yeah. Your mum got your dad the job by being the oh, one. God, who's... you've got some good insights. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that. But he's he's with the same company, so um, yeah, well, that's nice. That's but, a nice thing then. But once we got back, it just another set of issues raise their heads whereas I started feeling a little bit more grounded Cleet and Lucy moving not even back for them to a new country right because mm-hmm. Lucy wasn't born here that's total new yeah Cleet's American so we then had to deal with all the issues and our marriage had never be, really been tested in Hong Kong because we had a perfect life and mm-hmm. if if anything wrong happened you could just pay for it to be fixed or our helper would fix it honestly mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah so we got thrown back into the real world quite hard and it just didn't survive and it's not his fault mm-hmm. it's just he Life. he he looked at me and he said you're a completely different person he was right 
you know, he, I, I had completely shifted and it's come full circle now. I'm the same but different now. But at that time, he just, he goes, you're not what? He knew. He knew. And the trauma and the, all of that, that tidal wave of events and just yeah, the whole pulling the rug up from everything is yeah, everything. such a shift in... Everything. So we just hmm. threw all the dice up in the air. The fortunate thing was I had the house in Basingham that I've been renting out. And again, in a bizarre manifestation period, I remember when I bought that house, we'd sold some property in Hong Kong and I wanted to put some money somewhere. Um, again, fortunate. Mm-hmm. And I bought it, I thought, oh, you know, I can always live here if things go tits up. You remember thinking that? I, I, th- I remember mm. saying it, like, twice to and my dad. that's where you grew up in Basingham. Yeah, and I, it was it was almost like I knew it was going to happen or manifested it or whichever way mm. you're going to mm. look at it. Um, so we came back and, I mean, so many different things happened, but I ultimately ended up leaving HSBC and I went backwards and forwards over that because that had been my rock for such a long time, earning my own money, doing my own thing, having that stability. And I would keep going down to see my boss and he was he was really good. And I could I told him everything. I was completely open with him about even the more woo-woo stuff that was going on. And he just said, as much time as you want. And I tried to resign three times um, and he wouldn't let me go. And eventually when I went down... I sat in Canary Wharf with him and said, look, I really want to leave. He said, now I can see it in your face that you're okay to leave. But he just didn't want me moving countries, getting divorced. And um, not having that security. Yeah, sort of, he says, I don't want you throwing yeah. it all up at once. So he he really helped me through mm. the whole thing. You know, and they say the banking world's dog eat dog, but there's some good people. There's good people. In it, yeah. everywhere. There is, right? and there has to be, yeah. isn't there? So, you know. So, Jesus, well, I'm going to have to get get my breath <laughs> that, yeah. is, that is so you when you're back in Basingham mm-hmm. you sort of painted the picture there for Lucy and for Cle- Cleats from America Lucy's been born in, in Asia you're back but for you it's home you're Basingham it is well, it's, it's sort of sort of but you're familiar so yes. they're going through the changes of like this is a complete new country as well as you're going through all this stuff oh, yeah. and they're adapting to you and trying to work out yeah. how to be you're coming back here to somewhere that's kind of home to try and glean something from it to help you get back on just try feet. and get grounded yeah. yeah but in that process of that it's kind of highlighting to cleat and that, hang on we're, we're not what we were and we're not going to go where we were going to go and this is all changing I think you mentioned he was like turning 40 or early yeah. 40s at the time. Yeah, yeah. So that plays a part yeah. because, you know, yeah. you think about the stages of your life and in, ter- in your own dialogue. So you guys, when you start to have those, when he says that to you and you have that conversation, he's like, you're not who we were. How does it, how do you feel there? Are you, are you accepting of that? Like, this is the end of this? Um, well, I mean, is he'd start, we'd started those just... conversations in Hong Kong. Right. Um, Yes, I acknowledged that I wasn't who I was and I was frustrated that I wasn't because I kind of wanted to be that. But at the time, mm. I wanted to be that person. I was I was really mad at myself that I couldn't... Just I couldn't fix it. Indeed. Just fix it. Mm. Yeah, just like, you know, how is why is this happening? Mm. Um, so 
I'm not really sure what you do with that. He he wouldn't or didn't want to, or maybe we both didn't want to go for counselling around it. But there was so much going on that it was hard to know where to start. So with Lucy then, how do you guys approach it with Lucy that you're going to separate and we, do you sit down with her? Do you? Yeah, we... Um, so Cleet was working from home, but in Amsterdam, um, we'd been over to a friend's in the summer to a friend's 50th in uh, with a load of Hong Kong friends in in France. And it was already really wobbly then because we were just not... He, I would look at him and just go into a rage at anything. I mean, it was, it was mm. that bad. And actually on the more woo-woo side of things, and this had started in Hong Kong, I would touch him and I'd see all these colours in him. Wow. Yeah, wow, yeah. But, you know, where do we go with that? It's just, uh, and I was looking at it going, this is just weird. It's weird how weirdly similar that experience is to what I mentioned earlier, this K- K- <laughs> it, it really is, you know. Um, obviously, it's when, on, on, you know, no, what you've gone through is traumatic yeah. and it's something... But it's done the same process. It's, but it's, those feelings, though, what I'm saying, that, that psychedelic nature of what you're expressing here, yeah. that, which you're referring to as woo and what have you, and I have this in a tank as well, um, in the float tank, you know, really, really strong visual concepts, images, like literally digitally there. Yeah, yeah. You know, that I manifest and, like, and I'll have a split moment because you drift in and out in the, in the float tank, you drift in and out of this these different brainwaves and like I can visualise things. I think I can visualise things, I see things and then for a moment I know that I'm in a tank and I can see it but it's there and I know I'm looking at it and then it just dissipates. Yeah, yeah. But so it's as it's, real as real as it, real. It's amazing, actually. It's, but for you to have it in that circumstance, like I know I'm doing that in the sense that I know I'm recreationally able to do it. Like, so if I use psychedelics, yeah, like a mushroom or a DMT yeah. or anything like that, yeah. I know that I'm going to do that. Like I'm setting myself up to yeah. do that, and I want to glean the lessons from it. Yeah, you're going through something you don't understand. Correct. I got I got thrown into it without any help yeah. <laughs> a warning or anything. a warning which but, you're, but you're getting all of these kinds of psychedelic well I started having yeah things. I started having um, I started seeing a lot of numbers and um, it would come to me and a lot of animals would come to me at night and things and when I started researching these it makes sense through a lot of um, we'll get onto it shamanistic stuff mm-hmm. and um mm. Uh, Joseph Campbell, the yep. hero's journey and That's that kind it, of yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was all just there. And ironically, my my boss at HSBC is now left who's going to do philosophy. This is why he was quite... Yeah, he's, He was um, open uh, to yeah. it. He kind of got it. But um, oh, back to clear, I was seeing energy. But at the same time, I was... I started having dreams about philosophers and about the evolution of humans and more recently because it still happens but I'm in control of it now quantum physics and I'd see the other side of the universe and I'd I'd see all this stuff going on but of course at first I was like oh my god you know what and to pull that into a relationship that has been quite gilded so poor 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 buggers all of us really we were on the highway to nowhere, really, with it. And at the same time, trying to keep it from Lucy that she... So she wouldn't... Trying to keep it stable. So back to the question was, how did we handle it with Lucy? All this is going on. We decided we are going to separate, that he was going to go 
permanently to live in Amsterdam. And we picked our time. There's never a good time for mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. And we just sat down and said, look, we're going to get divorced. And she just burst into tears. And we did the usual, mm-hmm. you know, we, it's not you and mm-hmm. everything. And mm-hmm. and like all kids, she's like, what about Christmas? All the practicalities and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And she'd seen me starting to get a bit better, which helped. Of course. But it was just another thing to be thrown at her. Mm. Um uh, you know, I, I uprooted her life and then that was coming. So I then started feeling all the guilt about that. But we've handled it as best we can, I think. And um, she's, you know, this will manifest it in some way in the future. But I'm try- we're trying to do the best we can mm-hmm. to help that. Whereas, but Cleet and I have very different, not that his is wrong or mine's wrong, views on how that should be, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they complement each other ultimately that's, that's perfect balance yeah. when, when when there's respect for that like you, you yeah. said it there no, he, not, not, not neither right nor wrong but different yeah I don't I don't yeah but it's taken us a long while to get that and he you know he's I don't really talk to him too much about the woo woo stuff because it's just not his it, it, well, how you can you said, expect you, anyone I'm, to understand I'm, it I'm coming from a, a point of like I'm a music maker by intrinsic desire psychedelically i'm somebody who's gone searching for these kinds of things that you're experiencing <laughs> yeah. by by trauma really yeah you've explored you've, you've had a vaccination that has triggered the only person i can think of that you know that's had a, an experience that is psychedelic like this that's been so impactful is david ike well it's funny because i am um... You know, years ago, I'd look at David Ike and go, what are you talking about? As everybody did. Yeah. The, the first Wogan thing was, was just, yeah. you know. But I look at some of the stuff he's saying now and go, well, he's... I, I get it, I re- get it. The reason I point him out is because I'm, as I mentioned there, I've come from a, you know, psychic... These kinds of conversations in my circles are the commonplace, you know, because we're yeah. amongst some of my closest friends. We go yeah. searching for these kinds of yeah. experiences and insights. To hear somebody who's had this... And like I say, it's David Ike's the only person I, I can think of that's had this kind of epiphany moment where he hasn't used drugs. Yeah. He doesn't, he's never been a drug user. Hasn't gone searching for anything. But he had this moment where he just this, everything imploded and his life went upside down and chaos ensued and he just saw the world in a completely different way. You've had it in an even kind of stranger way from this trauma from a vaccine. And you're experiencing and you're open to these kind of psychedelic notions these sh- shamanic notions but you've got nobody to, to at the time. talk to no, at the a, time a, about it at the time and your closest people i mean I, I luckily for me my wife she knows i'm pretty far out and like yeah, yeah. you know she can kind of even though she hasn't got a clue what i'm saying she knows she can engage me on it and yeah. kind of keep me somewhere yeah feels safe or, yeah, or whatever yeah. but to to be in your position yeah, it wasn't pleasant. And the thing that was happening at the same time, and it, there's a book, Your Body Keeps the Score. Oh, wow. You've just said that. <laughs> I just bought my stepdaughter that book. So my mum's reading that book at the moment. Right. Um, I'm my One of my brothers, I'm hoping, is going to read it. I think I want all my family to read it. Um, Bezel, Bezel, yeah. Van Bezel. Col- not Cockfolk or somebody uh, else's. Yeah, I can't remember his exact name. Something. He's yeah. a Dutch guy. Yeah, yeah. T- taught in America. Yeah. Amanda, who was on a previous episode. I mentioned that book to her. 
and obviously she's she's yeah, yeah. a hypnotherapist. I think I yeah I remember that. Yeah, she she said that's like the Bible, but that book for me told me so much. Yeah, so so exactly that. So I kept as part of this, I kept getting told about bits of my body, right, in my dreams, because my body was really on on fire. And again, my digestion's still not quite right. But what's been happening, and then this is where you come into the whole. I learned about the cold Kundalini thing, and it's all the same. It's call different things in different um, cultures cultures but it's the same thing but it basically you store all your emotions in your body right and because of when I was a kid I just absorbed anything didn't let it all out so it's all mm. I've got like layers and layers and layers of stuff stored that it just keeps coming up because I started going through a whole shaking process like my hand would go or my leg would go and I now know it's just my body like dogs and cats do trying to shake off the stuff the that isn't yeah. The isn't the there stress. for it yeah. right so but that whole principle of the body keeps the score and the consciousness piece it, it all comes together eventually because we don't really know even brain surgeons say they know five percent of what the brain's mm. conscious of and it all start all the pieces of the puzzle start to link together because i was dreaming about human evolution and i think we are evolving into something because we're not neanderthals anymore we don't have to hunt and gather and so something's happening to us and you say you've only met David Icke relates but the more I've looked into this there's a lot of people experiencing this and it would have previously been labelled pure mental illness actually mm, mm. but it's not no um, awakening it is an awakening and there's a fight I read a book called Am I Bipolar or Am I Waking Up right and that there's a there's a I think there's a line that gets crossed where you are waking up, but you lose a little bit of control of it. That's when probably a different intervention, whatever it is, is mm -hmm. needed. Now, I was fortunate enough. I've all, that's That core thing, which I now know is my higher self, true self, whatever you want to call it, was holding it together. And I just see it as all this stuff's being around me. You're learning from this. And it's still the only thing, because I still have my days where I'm feeling, mm -hmm. in particularly physically, just not right but something will pop up like an emotion that I've forgotten and then it'll feel better my body will feel better now what I had to go through was and it depends on your perspectives on this was clearing out a load of stuff even before I was here like generational stuff yeah. or yeah. previous because I would dream about Auschwitz and stuff and I was never there but <sighs> Whether, but then, or I dream about Nagasaki, or and that's collective consciousness. And you get into a bit more esoteric stuff mm -hmm. here, but mm -hmm. I'm just holding it all in my body, which I think all humans oh, do. 100%. We just don't know it. And all the experiences I'm having, the, the I put inverted bad things and the more enlightening things, everybody is capable of having. Mm -hmm. um, but I met a woman... Again, perfect synchronicity. I was watching, I was trying to get better. I was on this thing called NES Health, which assesses your energy system to see what's up with it. And I watched a documentary that comes with them called uh, Choice Point. And it's Richard Branson and a bunch of other luminaries talking about the world being a bit of a mess. And there was this woman on there called Alison Potier, who was an investment banker, American. And she was talking about stuff. I thought, I really need to speak to her. Yeah, right, I, I didn't. I didn't know why. Walked a similar path. I yeah. Imagine. So, yeah. So, 
I found, I looked her up and I actually found her contacts quite easily and I wrote to her and didn't expect anything back from her. Wrote to me overnight, she goes, I knew you were going to call because you've seen me going to call her, right? And she, she was a big shift in me starting to master this and get to grips with it because she explained to me she used to be in Canary Wharf trading during the day and at night she'd be spinning around like the Sufis and having all these visions and feeling people and, you know... And uh, yeah, and but I cried when I spoke to her because it's suddenly like shit. You know, I'm not going mad. Mm. Um, so important. She isn't was it? phenomenal, and I still talk to her on a regular basis. Um, and she she says to me, "You're going to do great things with this," um, which I'll get to. But but that in itself initially made me think oh, I've got to get on to doing. And I, I had to really take a step back yeah, and go, "Let it be." She goes, and I kept getting "Let it be" the song. There you go. The be- for. I got George Martin in my head for, 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 it was like all the Beatles songs were coming at me and George Martin, though he died, mm-hmm. just saying, chill out. Because if you listen to a lot of the Beatles songs, their lyrics are very consciousness the, the focused. The Beatles just... have been an absolute education for my children's lives. Yeah. I beat, the Beatles were my first band that I, I, I adore them to this day. And it's funny, you know, again, I'm not digressed too far, but it's come up serendipitously, which is lovely you say about the lyrics and the consciousness of the lyrics <clears throat> i'm actually waiting i've got a, i've got a paul mccartney cardboard life-size cardboard <laughs> cut out coming in here because he's just universal love isn't he? it yeah and so my kids when we first started getting into music it was uh maybe we're traveling in the car it's maybe about three years ago my oldest would have been maybe coming on for four or something. And there's always been music on, but I would actually start saying to him, and I'd, I'd come across a guy called Nick Drake. Yeah. Now, Nick Drake's like the lost, forgotten, yeah. amazing songwriter from yeah. like the late 60s, 70s. I'd never heard of him. Someone put me onto him, and he plays this beautiful kind of off-tune acoustic stuff, and he's just fabulous. And someone gave me these, these albums, so I put them on, I said, and they're lovely for the kids in the car, because it's just this lovely... Music, Pink Moon albums I was playing at the time. I was saying to the kids, you know, should we have to listen to some music? And they'd say, Nick Drake, Daddy. And put Nick Drake on. Anyway, a few weeks go by that, and I thought I was in the kitchen, and uh, I said to the oldest, I said, uh, should we have some music then? He said, yeah, can we have Nick Drake, Daddy? Oh, I said, wow. I said, well, I said, we're going to play John Lennon today. And he's like, John Lennon? I said, yeah, John Lennon. I said, he was in a beat. And, and I, in that moment, I thought, right, I'm on a little thing here. I said, he was in a band called The Beatles. And obviously, you start thinking about The Beatles. The Beatles, and he's three or four or something. He's like, oh, The Beatles? What, they're Beatles? I said, well, kind <laughs> of. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, you know, and we played him a John Lennon song. And then it, I, I realised, oh, we're playing some, some Beatles songs. And he starts in his drawing. And I showed him a picture of John Lennon. Because John Lennon used to do the drawings, didn't he? For yeah, um, yeah. he did the children's books. And yeah, he's got a very yeah. sort of particular drawing style. And I showed him, and he's asking me about him. He said, "Where's John Lennon now, Daddy?" I said, "Oh," and I kind of on the spot, I thought, "What do I do here?" Like this is my oldest, and he's asking me about somebody that I love, and this whole music thing's happening. I'm in music, and so it's great. And I'm thinking, do I tell him that he's dead? Well, what, what do I, yeah. So I just said, I said, well, he, he's dead, darling. And he's like, dead? And I said, yeah, he's not here anymore. He said, why? I said, well, I'm thinking, shit, what are you doing <laughs> now? <laughs> Fuck's sake. I'm like, well, I said, well, because he was very, I said, the, you know the Beatles that you've been listening to? He says, yeah. I said, well, they were, the, they were like the 
biggest band in the whole world. Everybody loved their music, and it, it, everybody was so happy when their music was on. I said, and and but unfortunately, I said there was a naughty man, and the naughty man, although he loved John and the Beatles, he 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 was not very well. And I said, and he and he he hurted. This is the words I said. I said he hurted him <laughs> to dead. <laughs> and he said, oh, no. I said, yeah. I said, but, it, you know, he said he wasn't very well. And I, he said, so he's not here anymore. I said, no, he's not here anymore. Anyway, he said to me um, that he liked the music. And we carried on playing the music. And I kind of, I remember looking at him and thinking, I saw his little mind work. Like the the idea of being here, not being here. So totally, yeah. totally not music related at this point. It's kind of like, and John Lennon's kind of my idol. I mean, I've got a signed disc. Anyway, I, I, I saw his little mind, not here, here, not here, here. I saw it happen. Anyway, the next night, 24 hours later, I'm in the kitchen preparing something. He says to me, Daddy, and we got the music on again. He said, look at my drawing. He said, did the naughty man who killed John Lennon look like this? And we hadn't said a word since the night before. And he'd done a drawing, and it was kind of like a, you know, just a face with like, yeah. you know, pointy eyes. And oh, it's giving me the shivers. This. And I thought, Jesus Christ, he's been. Yeah. You know, that's been in his mind. That's permeated his thoughts. And, you know, and, it, and and so then, wow, that kicked off though. That kicked off this beautiful thing where I obviously knew they were ready for music and to pay attention to it from the Nick Drake thing. And we don't have telly and radio and all that, so I've been quite conscious of not having yes. them imprinted with the yes. culture's version yeah, yeah. of whatever it is. So we start playing Beatles songs and I'm on a right roll because I'm like, fucking hell, I haven't visited this music since I was 15, 16, properly, you know, with yes. that vigour where yeah. you're like exploring it all. So I'm like, Yellow Submarine, Me, Mr Mustard, Rocky Ro all these oh, songs that are just perfect for the kids. So we start playing them, I get the guitar out again and I start playing and we go through probably 18 months of just solid everywhere we go because it's about the same time as we get acquainted with Spotify and all that, so you realise yes, we just put it yes. on. And so we listen to all the albums and, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but we went through so many times when they would ask questions. Daddy, so she's leaving home was an example. We were going to to a nursery one morning, driving down Carham Road in Lincoln, and my middle lad said, Daddy, why is, she, why, is, why is he saying that my baby's leaving home? Is she a big girl or is she a baby? And I said, oh, well, he's... Calling, he's, he's saying her, his baby because she'll always be his baby even though she's a big girl and he's trying to get his head around he said well why is she leaving home daddy I said well you know. I said well because <laughs> because mummy and daddy love them they probably love her too much maybe and like she needs to go out into the world and she's ready to be a big girl now and, and have her own life and she wants to go but she's going to leave a letter and she's going to let them and, he's trying, and he started crying right and this is oh, I mean I can wow. cry now I saw a tear roll from his eyes. The, the second one's younger, second boy. And uh, his tear starts rolling. I look in the wing mirror at my wife's... Oh. I, and we're all having tears rolling because he's, these kids are discovering the concepts yeah. of, like, real life. Yeah. And, I, and I'm having another thought on top of that, thinking... We could be in the car now listening to Radio 1 and listening to, no offence, but some kid who's just talking about his Rolex and how he got it and slinging his Yeah, it's and, moments like that you realise how is, off we've gone. Yeah. yeah. And so I was going in the other way. I was realising yeah. how lucky we are and yeah, how beautiful exactly. this is. So sorry for that long digression, but that was no, like, that's been a really poignant part of like something I've recognised bringing my kids up. Like the Beatles became like a masterclass education, like totally organically alongside everything. 
moments we'd be driving at the weekends or going off to club or whatever and they'd ask questions. Well, it's the yeah. simplicity of them sometimes, yeah. isn't it? It's just amazing. But I learned so much more again listening to yeah. them. Listening to them as a, you know, a man in my late 30s compared to being a 15-year-old kid. You know, like, and my wife, who wasn't that, she knew the songs like most people. Yeah. We watched documentaries and stuff and she was like, she realised the impact, the universal kind of, whether you like their songs or not, if once you learn that once upon a time there was one channel on the telly and then these boys popped up. Yeah. But that, that's interesting that you say you've listened to them again because it just shows how your your mind works. You're, you've listened to them once and got something else, something out of it. Now the songs and the lyrics are exactly the same, mm. but you've come to it in a different route this time yeah. and your perception and what you read into it mm. is very different and, and when you're, when deeper. You're, yeah, when you're teaching a... Or when you're explaining to a four-year-old the version that you think they're going to interpret, like yellow submarine means mm. this. We all live in a yellow submarine and oh, it's lovely mm. and, you know, the sun is yellow and the sky is blue yeah. and the sky is green. But then I'm listening to it again and going, I'm thinking, oh, I'm with my friends and we're just sailing away and, you know, yeah. we're just getting away from the chaos. But that tells you it's it's your perception of, on a more, like, mm. whatever you perceive is it. Mm. If, isn't it but it really is what yeah. you read into something that is exactly the same physically or sound wise you'll just different people will read different things into it which exactly shows how your consciousness works to manifest whatever it is you want out of it so to get back where we were <laughs> again apologies for my long digression so you start to recognise you're having these dreams, animals are coming to you, faces, places, things. Yeah. Your consciousness is like. I started. I started seeing things before they happened. Literally. Yeah, and you know, everyone. My dad's like Mystic Meg. What are the lotto numbers? But it's mm. not that. You know, it's, no. but I would, But yeah, but not nothing. Nothing earth shattering, but I'd like. I'd literally see a headline in a paper. And I'd write it down and it would be word for word there the next day. Or, which sort of freaked me out. And I, I, I actually realised I did this years ago when we lost our dog in Hong Kong. I was sitting on a conference call and I saw where she was and I called Cleet and said, this is where she is and that's where she was. Saw her. Mm. Literally saw her. Uh, which kind of freaked me out at the time. But, but so that got me thinking. And when I was talking to Alison, who's become a bit of a mentor, the lady on Choice Point Dog she says that's just reminding you it is the universe reminding you that you have this ability as we all do nothing to be scared of but it's also when when i started dreaming about quantum physics you then get into the whole thing about i'm not seeing into the future all i'm doing is accessing an energy that is already there so when you get a bit out there mm -hmm. and has happened it's all happening at the same time you're just accessing a different bit of consciousness so mm. and in itself sounds really weird but it gave me it calms me down a bit because i was like well, what if i have a premonition about lucy falling off a yeah. cliff mm. and i weirdly i learned a really good thing and i watched the i know people don't like her but i watched the gwyneth paltrow you know she, she gets a lot of stick for um no, i mean you're for in the public eye yeah. you can't please everybody she gets a lot of stick but she's had this thing called the goop project and she was exploring a lot of these things and there was a a medium 
there and she was doing some because I, I started going to a spiritualist church as well because Alison said to me to release some of this energy go and see if you can tune into it mm. right so I'd do it and then I was freaking out I was like if I'm a brain mission she goes you'll know what is your you'll, she goes this medium said you know what is real seeing stuff that's useful and you'll know what is just your projection of worry because it'll feel very different so if you see say Lucy having a car accident or something and you feel that's just you projecting your ego your worries Mm. your Mm. shit Mm. out Mm. but she, she and you'll if it's something that is pure consciousness and your intuition you won't feel that. It'll feel very calm. And you'll act. And, and you'll act. You'll do it instinctively and it won't be scary. It might be a scary thing, mm-hmm. but you won't be scared. And that's been massively helpful in realising that, A, there is this being present and trusting your intuition is what we should all be doing, but we don't. And then there's this projection of fear and anger that will cause you to worry about things in the future or stress about things you might have done that is just not you. It's it's the conditioning or the preconceptions that have been put on you. And it took me a long time. I, I would read all these books about higher self and, you know, true selfless ego. And it was all getting a bit too... I was getting lost in the spirituality of it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was getting lost in the... Mm. Well, this is too out there. But if and everybody's you could, different versions. Yeah, of and it you've, as got, well. you've got to live in the real world. Mm. It, you've got to live in this yeah. current version of mm. the world. But you can... If you bring it back to, like, your true self is just that, blank canvas which initially is scary because then you have no identity but it is and then everything around it is just projectional perception if you get it you can come back to a place of complete calm and then you can access what is in effect and it all boils down to just the energy of everything which sounds strange so when I'm I mean I literally I had an experience of messing around with this and my brother had a sty on his eye and I thought oh you know let me do this thing I'd learned about just moving your energy so he doesn't believe any of this and you find the emotional cause of his sty Mm -hmm. and you clear it so I did it and bugger me his sty went but I got it the next day I so what? I've so got what I done? This kind of work what I done is take as yeah. is my way. You, my whole life, it. I absorbed it and didn't yeah. let it go. So yeah. that's no good for anybody. Mm. So now, what I'm trying to learn and understand, and the I've been drawn down the shamanic route, which has a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions. Well, can't say misconceptions. Their own views on what that is, but really, it's just working with energy, and you don't have to jump around with a stick and a headdress on and mm-hmm. everything with it. Mm-hmm. You're working with a energy and a belief in certain things and acknowledging that there's good energy and bad energy, but it's all energy and you can just work with it. Mm-hmm. And when you start to get that, your whole world and perception changes a bit. So is this happening? <clears throat> you and Cleet, Cleet moves off. You've had the talk with Lucy. You're kind of settling into you and mum and, mum and Lucy. Yeah, now. moved house, which was a big big thing so was that from Basingham to, to Navenby that was a massive thing mm. it, it made uh, again that we said my mum moving yeah. that it wasn't me moving back here it was me moving from Basingham to Navenby right. that started to okay. really shift to feel that kind I of I don't know why yeah 
I walked into that house and That's, I just... Yeah, you said that I just, strong feeling. Yeah. So how is... How are you and Lucy adapting to your dynamic as you two? You're now obviously she, reading things and learning yeah, things and she's, repairing. She's, and she um, she's very nervous of this this kind of thing, and she, at first she wouldn't even. What this more to esoteric it. side yeah. of it? But now she jokes about it, which is a step in the right direction. Yeah. She's like, yeah. "Oh, you're off to do your woo-woo stuff, right?" Mm-hmm. And so she's she's opening up to it. I think because originally she associated it with me not being well. Of course. So, understandably, she's a bit... And she's like, don't you ever do anything on me? And I said, look, one of the things is you can't do anything on him unless they mm. want it, right, mm. or ask for it. So, mm. um, but she's she's opening up a little bit to it. But I try and normalise it as well, yeah. because actually, when you really look at it, it is normal. People just don't know. It's not normal, that's not fair. It's not common, right? But it's happening to more and more people. And when you look into the science of it and the spirituality those two are coming together and you can start to see how you use energy to shift things manipulate things and not in a bad way and and you can change it but she she's getting there with it but our dynamic is so much there was a time when I was really unwell that I thought I'd lost her forever but she's fine now and we're, we're close and she's she knows that I'm here in England and Cleet's in Amsterdam with his new girlfriend. I'm seeing my partner. So she's starting to put bits of the puzzle. And she's 14. She's now, 14. So, she yeah. she started at school. She's gone away to school mm-hmm. to board, which was touch and go, but it's been brilliant for her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant. She's got a community of girls there. She's home every three weeks. Mm-hmm. I was a bit nervous about that, but it gave me a bit of space mm-hmm. to do what I do without worrying about what she was thinking and... Mm-hmm. You know, it f- doesn't make her feel like she's weirdly. She doesn't feel guilty. She's with just me or with just Cleek because she's of got school. Yeah. So it's actually she's getting her three little mm. worlds slotted into place, and for her having that stability and knowing that she doesn't like. I said to Cleek, "Look, if you come over and I I go away, you can stay in the house and yep. with." She doesn't want that yet because she's she's kind of still adjusting. Yeah, and she's mm. got us in. Separate corners. She's got us in places where she is comfortable mm. right now, which I understand. Mm-hmm. So I give it a bit of time. So it's it's getting there. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a way to go with her to understand this mm. stuff. But she's fourteen. But well, I think. But I think the principles of it should be taught to kids. Actually, I, you know, you took the words out of my mouth. I think. I think again, coming back to young children that I have. You look around the culture, as simple as... I mean, you talk about energy. So much of that is fundamentally starts in our practical lives, and our diets. Yeah. You talked about this whole thing was you put something in your body. We, we, we're, we're rearing children on disguised sugar products. I know. You know, and sugar to children is heroin to, mm. you know, somebody who's broken. You know, it's you're setting up. And it's... <clears throat> I don't know. We're, we've got kids at schools and we should be teaching them about their bodies, about how amazing it is that your body is, it works. and Yeah, it's an amazing thing. And, and if thing. your body's healthy and it's strong, it opens up your ability yeah. to use your cognitive function, yeah. you know, like your whole harmony, your whole resonance is is in tune. Like yeah. you keep mentioning frequency, high frequency, low frequency. You know, that whole 
thing with children to teach them like the importance of that to understand that if we eat right if we exercise do you know how important it is if we go for a walk it's you know like being outside yeah. we're up against it now because of screens and technology and automation yeah. you know it's something that i'm it's probably my biggest worry as a, as a parent is like just trying to balance the the total necessity of technology and evolution with yeah. trying to stay somehow primal is too strong a word but it feels like you know we've got to still Natural. go out and get out and be dirty yeah and and get wet exactly and play and not be not be um confided to but all of that comes from education and i think we do our best at home yeah and but, in the but part of that as well it's not just the being outside it's being able to form your own view about something without someone else telling you what it is mm. because mm. again that's you know technology in itself has done some wonderful things but it's the constant stream of nonsense yeah we don't we that's one thing that i'm really proud of that we just happened to happen that we just i'd just about sacked off i think i, I don't know what book i'd read at the time i'd read something because you know my kind of change in consciousness wasn't anywhere near as dramatic as yours mm. but I was just banging my head against the wall going in a certain direction recognising patterns all around me yeah. and just thinking hang on a minute I'm repeating this pattern and I can see where this pattern goes I can see the generations in front of me where they've just yeah. gone that way and like and then I read well, some stuff that's a great way to and, see it you know and, and just saw I can't remember I read The Alchemist that was one book that, yeah. that stood out um, but I can remember thinking you know what I've just fucking get home from my hard day's work and I put this press this button and then this fucking world pops up in the corner of my room and even though I think I'm watching something I like in between every 15 minutes is this four minutes of just and I say this on the podcast a couple of times because I think it's so it's such a mundane everyday thing that's so synonymous to our lives adverts mm. marketing and damaging you know four minutes of just like you know these have been scientific like you mentioned earlier the sales pitch how you draw mm -hmm. the pen to the card mm -hmm. you know like they've 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 started in a science lab these mm -hmm. adverts how do we prick that attention drive it to this thing and then you're four well, five that, yeah but that takes me on to a whole other thing that my, me and my partner now talk about a lot is because he gets all this he's kind of mm. he's but it's just the whole actually we are starting to live in the orwellian mm society because mm. there's all this stuff being thrown at you which adverts you could say is propaganda just encouraging you to do stuff yeah, totally. but at the same time you're being told how you should think and how you mm. shouldn't think mm. and mm. it's just a whole and the kids back to the kids I think screening them from it is one thing but actually teaching them resilience to deal with it and discern not mm. judge mm. what's good or bad for them mm. is is what needs to be taught in schools. I, even I was a nerd. Even the way they measure kids in schools drives me nuts. Well, these you days. just remember it. Re, you know, learn know. it, regurgitate it, spend time with it. Then, as soon as you've done the test, you've got the mark. You leave it there, and yeah. you move on. And, and and active learning, you know, engagement, creativity. Mm. Um, they're on the back burner because you know problem kids get put out the way or kids who are struggling to learn because that's affecting the top line mm. of the school and that's going to affect the funding and the, mm. yeah it's a it's all one. generated mm. yeah so they are the adverts for the kids and you know we, we we just we just you said it there the ideas you know it's about 
learning the resilience, learning what the world is. But like, mm-hmm. you, there's a lot of nonsense that you just don't need to let in to just colour your world. You know, we can, we can, we can. I say, you know, I've got brothers, and we talk about this often. You know, you've got to kind of build a world in the world. You've got to understand the world that you're in. Yeah. And you have to know the parameters and you have to know, but you can't be absorbed into it too much. No, because it'll just damage you. Yeah. yeah. And with the, with the kids, that's just highlighted to me enormously. It's just like, you know, we need to expose them to everything and teach them on the move, you know. Yeah. And again, that Beatles thing was massive. You know, yeah. just that, if you, if you zoom out of that and you replace those Beatles songs with, you know, I don't want to name people, but there's a lot of, algorithmic music these days yeah. again has been yeah. down the marketing route right we need the vocal in on 16 seconds we need three choruses yeah. and we need the hook and the loop and the da, 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 and it's just yeah. a, it's just, just a programming algorithm. people's brains and then all of the lyrical content a lot of it now is young women you know having to prove themselves in in yeah. a sexual way to get their attention so if my three kids are like if that's what's subconsciously imprinting them they're the mechanisms that they draw on mm-hmm. and the ideas and the values and mm-hmm. the codes, you know. So, yeah, it's um, it's a crazy new world. And you got to pull them, not pull them back from it, but just pull them out of it. I, you know, in my moments of more optimism, I think it will come back around on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope it will. Well, these podcasts, I mean, this, when I, when I stumbled across podcasts, which started with, uh, I can't remember when it was, maybe 2008 or nine, something like that, working on my own. Um, it was kind of the shift between be- being able to get like music, you know, iPods and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of at the point where you were getting, you could get music on your phone. So I was working, and I can remember thinking, you know, I was on these building sites and I, I could, I just, subconsciously, the radio was just breaking me. You know, just listening to the guy with a fake voice yeah. telling you the shit off the paper and then and here's another fucking advert and here's the same song again and this song's full of shit. You know, and that, all of that, I didn't know at the time because yeah, I had to read yeah. some books to recognise it, but instinctively I was like, I can't fuck. So then I, I can remember someone telling me something about, oh, you know, so-and-so's, if you press this into iTunes, you can listen, just put in what, whoever you love. And it was John Lennon. And I wrote John Lennon into the iTunes search thing and these, all these interviews came up. And it's just listening to interviews. Yeah. And then that turned into listening, I think at the time it was like Ricky Gervais had done his few podcasts and yeah. then it was Russell Brand's radio show condensed down into yeah. what is now known as a podcast without all the adverts and all the nonsense. And I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of really cool because I'm not getting the, the fucking formulated yeah. shit, essentially. Yeah. And then it developed into, oh, this is a podcast and this guy talks about this particular thing and it's great because it's just people talking that you've yeah. never heard of. And then, you know... Fast forward into some of the bigger podcasts and like it's edu- amazing though, isn't it? Education, the education I've gleaned from just talking God, to people. I, the, the, the Joe Rogan experience, which mm. is a podcast now, he's almost gone into like territory now where it's like bands you can't mention him because <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when when that was introduced to me, it was like an English guy, um, guy called Graham Hancock went on. He was an anthropologist and a writer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's, if he's formally an anthropologist, but he's a writer and he wrote a, a book called Fingerprints of the Gods in the 90s. Oh, I've heard of that, yeah. And his whole thing is kind of prehistory and that we've been here before and we're kind of a species with amnesia and that, you know, these megalith structures and the pyramids and everything, this is like, there's 
stuff's been happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We shouldn't write it off as like we're just, you know. No. And it was his podcast I listened to there. And that was like, whoa. I was listening to this American guy whose voice was cracking me up a bit. With this English guy who's got, you know, he's from Bath and he's just this. But the topic was this stuff that I would have never, ever have picked out, but it was captivating. And then it mm-hmm. triggered a whole thing. You know, I get his book and then I start the other people they mentioned on the podcast, you know, Dr. Robert Shock from Boston mm-hmm. University, who's the, you know, and, the, and they used to think it was um, dust and sand kind mm-hmm. of residue on the Sphinx that's dated it, but actually it's water residue and it's 12,000 years from the mm-hmm. Ice Age and actually we were walking, you know, and like, oh my I God. I know, it's, it's sometimes too much to take, isn't well, it? I just went on like this absorbing and it just reframed how I saw the world completely and entirely, like replaced mainstream media and ideas, newspapers. I used to get a newspaper every morning which yeah. would reinforce what I'd just heard on the radio, yeah. which would reinforce what was on news at 10 last night. And don't go that way because there's paedophiles and don't go this way because yeah. there's terrorists. And oh my God, if you live in this area, you're gonna, this is going to happen. Exactly. And think about the kids. All they think about, all they hear is fear. Yeah, well, utterly, which is why we yeah. keep them inside, which is why they're always on screens, which is why we're disconnected from yeah. them, which is why we don't know them, which is why they grow up to be anxiety and depressed. And like, yeah, it's fucked. like you get on the tube in London and it says, keep a lookout for something that's going to harm you. Yeah. It's just like, God, give us a break because mm. actually the chances of you getting harmed are... Small. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole podcast there. I know. There's a whole podcast there. But, you know, it's... um, So as we sit here now, Mm. how do you feel? What's what's the future looking like for you? Oh, wow. God, that's a big question. So I feel... I feel I need to be patient with it. Mm. Um, I was very keen to get going properly with doing something with this awakening, this knowledge... And actually by, I was almost pushing myself too hard to find out more and try more and try and heal things and what have you. So I've just taken a bit of a step back, just even more, even more so. It'll keep pushing you and pushing you and pushing you just to be, mm. right? And that doesn't mean doing nothing and not engaging with the world, but it's just like literally be really present. So I'm at the moment I'm doing that, but also at the same time I have... Um, nominally opened up this thing called the heart shed which is i wanted to ask you life coaching yeah personal coaching and i kind of doing it a bit voluntary at the moment um but it'll it'll evolve into something and actually the people that i know who have done this more spiritual work say don't don't be voluntary because you need a value on it you know there's a value in what you do and just treat money as energy don't think it's bad don't think it's anything like that because i think a lot of spirituality goes into money's really bad but actually mm. it's just an exchange of mm. something for something mm. really but you just don't get hung up on it so that was an aside but i'm doing that but at the same time i'm doing i'm working um with alice and the lady that i spoke to you about just on her experiences and how she sort of start to manifest this. She coaches CEOs now and tries to change how companies work to this more conscious way of being. Um, so I'm working with her, but I'm also in shamanic practitioner training, which is learning. Oh, awesome. Yeah, which is really good. So I'm doing a retreat in Spain soon. And you you get treated, but you learn at the same time. Yeah. Just that culture... Well, I say culture, they're all over the world, shamans, but how they view things, which has actually come naturally to me. I realised that a lot of this stuff for years I've been collecting. Like I have a picture from a National Geographic thing that I bought that I could not not stop looking at, and it's a shamanic picture. Oh, 
Mm. The signs have been there forever, but you never actually say you are a shaman. You just have the skills, which everybody has. But it's basically learning to understand the present, the energy around the present, that you can access different realities and using those realities to ultimately help heal people. And shamans use drums, they use rattles, they use plant medicine, they use lots of different things. But ultimately, it's the energy of that sound or what's in the the plant, the intent Mm. that is doing the healing. And a really important thing is that I am now much better at mastering is you don't heal them, they heal themselves. You give them the channeling and the access to stuff to do that because what I was doing and have done actually most of my life is take on other people's shit mm. and you can't yeah. because you're not well. It's so it's taken me a long well time and own. I think the, the the things that I am still, when I do feel not well, is because it's teaching me that, you know, stop being, stop doing what you're doing because it's making you unwell. So it's te- teaching me to be much more resilient and a little bit, there's a difference between selfish and not caring about others, but a little bit more, the whole thing about the self comes first. I think it's yeah, taken me a long time to get that. because idea of, yeah, you, know, you have to be... You have to look after yourself. You have to love yourself in order to be yeah. able to love and be happy to make it's others happy. It's taken me ages. I didn't even realise I didn't, mm. but I didn't. Mm. But, it, but once you can get that sort of grounded, that's starting to help me do it. And I... I can see that I I am able to use energy to help people, um, as is everybody. Mm. I'm not unique. Mm. I think I've I've just had I've just had the opening to it. You know, it's just so I'm really looking forward to when I start it. But my mentor, she says to me, "You can do it now." Well, you are doing it now. I mean, this conversation exactly. She goes, she goes, you don't even know that you're doing it. That is the beauty of it. I think I I I think as soon as you. As soon as your internal ego just gets pretty smashed up and you realise that we're we're all interconnected, everything, which is another psychedelic element that's just overwhelming. You just But we are. You just absorb like I'm I'm attached to the plants, the plants are attached to the trees, the trees are giving the air, the air you know, like there's such an overwhelming feeling. But just communicating, again I'll come back to podcasts. This conversation, there'll be people listening to this that will have gone through all sorts of waves of like, whoa, and then, oh, God, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. And, then, and then and then things that will align and fit and things yeah. that will trigger things. And that it, alone is so powerful. Well, it's funny. She said to me, she, um, and actually a bunch of unsolicited similar people have said to me, you will do this with your voice, mm. which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Because not so much your hands-on... But she'll do it, you'll do it mainly with your voice. I'm like, okay. So the heart shed then, if we want to send people to find you, where yeah. do they find you? I'll link you obviously in the description. I've, I've got a Facebook page. Yeah. Um, my website isn't up and running, but it's best through the Facebook page at the moment. It's okay. called The Heart Shed. The Heart Shed in Facebook. Um, there's not a huge amount on it, but mm-hmm. again, I've, I've come to the realisation that you don't, I could put as much stuff as I like on that, but actually it's the one-on-one the discussion and the contact. And I think it'll just evolve organically. Mm-hmm. It's uh... What I would like to do with our sponsors, I've got two sponsors now because the lovely people at Function First, the Lincolnshire Cryo Lab, 
cryotherapy. Quite awesome, as I've been already. Have you been? Not for the cry, I've been for the... Oh, you've been for the training? For the training, Oh, because yeah. you listened to the first episode yeah, with yeah, Matt. Yeah. What a dude. Yeah, brilliant. I got. I was with Stuart, though, not... Oh, Stuart, yeah, yeah, Stuart's yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, I mean, good. all the guys, yeah, that yeah, whole stuff, they're, they're all fantastic. But um, they do the cryotherapy. Mm-hmm. So they've got the float therapy and the cryotherapy. And I think I would love it to get you back after you've done a couple of those sessions yeah, and see what you to. think because you talk about physically as well with you you know there's still maybe things physically yeah. happening amazing really psychologically for these thought processes that you're having for the float more mm-hmm. um something else when you're floating through space because you've seen space i know i'll probably never come back i'll well, just be there i mean it's i'm going i'm actually booked in tomorrow i'm going to, down to, to to the guys tomorrow to do a 90 minute float um episode four so at the time we record now the episode that's going to come out on monday yeah. is with go deep our sponsors oh, well. kieran yeah so we'll be talking a lot about it in there but for you i think with your story with your the whole physical trauma that you've had mm. i think and anybody listening to this as i keep saying in the intros and the outros we should all be floating because i think this discussion we've just had even the mundane you know you don't need to necessarily have a standout trauma moment that mm. happens it's crazy being exactly. human it's exactly. crazy trying yeah. to on the surface levels of operating and getting everything right and i'm a pillar of the yeah. community and i'm an upright standing person and everything you've got to okay. get your mind out of the way and in a float tank in yeah. the in that, that epsom salt water which is magnesium rich it's beautiful you drift off you can't feel where you end and the water begins because you're all the same temperature and, brilliant, right? and you just blip in and out of this place where well, you've been going that actually. must that must be that's pure energy then. it it's is just, pure energy yeah. and it's your energy and it's yeah. and it's the universal gleam that you leave and you know and then with the cryo you're going to get that blood shot into your vital organs at minus 145 <laughs> degrees you know <laughs> and then when you get back out and it recirculates and it's killed off all the all the weaker dead blood cells yeah. and just kind of rejuvenated you and like basically like like God's oil change. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, that's a good way I mean, of putting it. skins, I often sort of put that when they float. It's like I, when I've tried to explain floating to some friends who aren't necessarily quite as, you know, what, a bath with, you know, what? Yeah. It's like God picking you up off the earth, whoever yeah. he is, she yeah. is, it is, and putting you in his garage on a Sunday. You know, yeah. like the old boy who just loves his MG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Polishes it with love and nurture and care, and just takes care of it and puts every little bit back together again. It's like that's what it feels like when I get out of the float. It's like you get out and you've just well, been. The way you describe that is quite a shamanic way of looking at things because literally you go on shamanic journeys mm-hmm. and you see things mm-hmm. fixing your. Mm. It's the same thing. You mm. just you you, mm. you know anything can come in. It could be a mm. sitting in a float, but it just your energy gets moved. Yeah, totally. Because, but and we can all do that mm. whether we help with cryo or mm. I think flotation you, or, you mentioned it earlier once you once you make a decision in your mind to allow something to to be a possibility mm. whether that's an holistic therapy or whether it's just to stop getting angry at the traffic lights or whatever it is once you allow the idea to come in mm. I think anything's possible at that point mm. and if you're brave enough to follow through to the unknown mm-hmm. you know the unknown is scary for us all but you know that's where beautiful things can happen yeah and i think your story today should should 
I mean, fucking hell, I'm going <laughs> to, to listen to this and just get mad around it again. I think your listeners are going to go, what the... Well, I'm sat across from you and you, you're, you're gleaming, you look wonderful, you've got an aura, you know, oh, there's thanks. happiness in your eyes, yeah, you're glistening, yeah. you know. I love all this stuff. And things are on track and it's been, yeah. it's been lovely and I, I can only thank you for your time and thank you That's, for, for well, doing this. I'm, I'm really happy to share it. I'm, thank you for listening. And we'll do it again and like I say, I'll, we'll, we'll get you hooked up. I'd love to know what you think about using those those couple of therapies yeah, absolutely and come back and talk about it and it would be amazing and I want to send people to the heart shed we'll do um, if anyone's having similar experiences in particular mm-hmm. I think you know send them my way it'd be amazing yeah. and we'll, yeah. I'll, I'll link you in in the description so people can find you and um, yeah thank you Jane You've thank you marvellous thank you very much excellent take care thank you bye peace thank you for listening to Chew the Chat podcast Thank you for listening to my Chew the Cat podcast. I want to say my own words. Go on then. Very angry. Well, another epic podcast that. Um, I mean, what do you say? What a turnaround. Jane's, um, she's got, what seems to be all the uh, the kind of elements of the guests we've had so far, which is this kind of I don't know. There's a there's a a willingness to to encounter the unknown, to try the other thing, to to move toward um, whatever that internal dialogue is trying to say to us. We've all got that internal voice telling us the things that we really ought to do you know much like they say the gut feeling you know the gut feeling is the one to trust you know if your gut's telling you this doesn't feel right you know more often it's the right thing that is telling you the right thing and it's interesting you look at the science is actually you know you actually do have brain cells in your gut you know your microbiome is is linked to that whole chain of of you know understanding that on on a cognitive level it's bizarre yeah, she's um, made a, a real U-turn, if you like, and she's happier and 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 just more connected to herself, to her life, to to where she needs to be now. And she's obviously using that experience now to help other people. And she she's got a project, the Heart Shed, which you can get the link in the notes of this podcast. She's over on Facebook. It's early days for her, but she's sharing a lot. She's got lots of uh, um, people in her community that are they're all sharing different experiences. And, yeah, it's really interesting. And we need more people to be able to just say out loud to the rest of us how they actually feel and what's actually going on. And we can help one another. So, awesome episode. I love that. And while we were listening to that... Um, before I was just going to do my outro here, my phone was popping again as it was an intro, just links and things, and this is going to happen and that's going to happen, and there's going to be martial law and there's going to be penalties if you're found doing this and doing that. I mean, it really is a bonkers time. I'm in a group chat with my brothers, four brothers, um, and we were bouncing ideas and links and memes to one another today, trying to make some light heart of it. Um, but, you know, we, we mentioned in there, this might be the only time... Um, certainly for for us, myself and them, and feels like nationally, culturally, dare I say, globally, that maybe 
this might be as close as as we can feel what it might have been like to live through that Second World War. You know, just having news bulletins. Hitler was famous for for doing his speeches and addressing the world in the at night time. He was famous for doing that at night time. You know, the psychology behind the fact that it was done at night because night time is what we already have a a natural fear of in our DNA you know darkness and the cold and shadows and we're our ability to um to to be encapsulated in fear is is much higher in 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 the darkness at night time and I think you know we're not not to say that we're directly having an experience like that but certainly the fact that we're all trying to plod on through our lives and without even necessarily being directly affected we're we're getting the bulletins we're getting the updates we're we're in it sort of yeah really weird man fucking weird time isn't it it's a fucking weird time so thank you sponsors uh go deep flotation cryotherapy lab just Check them out. Just Google cryotherapy. Google Google flotation therapy. We've got time on our hands. Learn some shit. Um, whether or not you take those things up directly, or they lead to a whole different path of, you know, uh, holistic measures that can be made. You know, conscious minded decision making for yourself. Do it. Do it. Do it, boy. This is a long podcast. I know people have got time, but I don't want to take your room up on your phone. So thank you, Go Deep. Thank you, Cryo Lab. Thank you, everybody listening. Take care of one another just you know you've got to follow your instincts if you feel like you need to do something do it you know look after one another it's a fucking crazy time um we will be back in our next episode with um a friend of mine who's really interesting story of recovery um mr david mcgregor he he's got a really interesting story of recovery from from drugs and and a life of just crazy bonkers decision making and there was brief uh, a bereavement in his family he lost his dad early and he didn't realize how that had impacted him and it's a really interesting and heartwarming story and he come through the other side and he's a beacon of light for people who maybe are struggling with getting stuck in a rut using drugs and you know that's on its way so listen brothers and sisters share this if you enjoyed it like and subscribe we're all together we love one another be kind be brave we'll see you again peace